Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And guys, we have us a loaded show today. I actually don't have to do a whole lot of talking today, believe it or not, which means it's going to be a great show for all of you at home. We have two interviews on tap for the podcast, and I'm going to try to save my voice as much as possible simply because of the fact that, well, my I've kind of had a little bit of a sore throat, and that kind of stemmed from a mixture of the fiance getting sick as well as a little bit of an issue with me going to the Marley's Griffins game Saturday night, which, by the way, I should mention, that game has a little bit of, I guess, substance for this episode because, one, I actually had an interview with the play-by-play broadcaster for the Toronto Marlies, Todd Crocker. That will be played later on this episode. And one of the, the goaltenders that played in that game, Casimir Kaskasuo, has been called up by the Leafs. And, of course, Crocker had a good point on Mr. Kaskasuo during the interview. So that'll be interesting. Make sure to stay tuned for that. Also, Louis Pannone from the Hockey Writers, one of the Sites that I write for as well. He'll be coming on talking a little Arizona Coyotes here on the podcast. So obviously two big things here. Obviously got to keep up with the Coyotes because, man, they're not doing too bad right now, guys. They're they're in a pretty good run out there in the Pacific. And I know it's funny because, yes, Eastern bias, and here we are just pounding with Pacific information. Well, because everyone else talks about the East. Why not we talk about the West? Obviously we'll talk about the East with Mr. Crocker later on. And a little bit of the East as well with a couple things that went on during this past weekend. And with all that, be sure to get involved in the conversation. Tell us what you think about all the hockey that happened this past weekend by using the hashtag Podcast. Tweet us at Podcast and tell us what you think about the topics we talked about here today. And of course, in the interviews that I will be performing. Well, one of them that I'll be performing obviously later on, Lewis will be joining us here in the bottom of the hour, I guess you can say, we're recording this at around just past 7 o'clock Eastern Time on November the 12th on a Tuesday night. And I'll kind of mention a little bit more about the Crocker interview, why why it's a little bit interesting now. Because it was, like I said, we did it Saturday morning during the Marley's morning skate, which I knew was going to, I'm like, anything could happen in those three days, but I didn't think this much was going to happen. Like I said, we'll get to that later on. But first... The elephant in the room, the one thing we desperately need to talk about. If you haven't heard about it yet, Donald Stewart Cherry has been fired from Hockey Night in Canada. This is... I've still been trying to wrap my head around it. So let's kind of go back. I'm not going to say what he said. I'm not going to play back what he said during Coach's Corner this past Saturday night. If you haven't seen it yet, you haven't heard it yet, clearly you've been living under a rock or don't have Twitter because we were at the hockey game. So so I was with Alex, his girlfriend, and myself. All three of us were behind the goal at the Van Andel Arena Saturday night. Griffin's Marley's good hockey game we watched. Marley's ended up picking up the victory. And I checked my Twitter during the second intermission. I checked during the first as well, but obviously nothing at that point because, well, Hockey Night in Canada start the puck drops like seven fifteen. Puck drop at you know, Van Andel is around a little after seven o'clock. Second intermission comes around. I check my Twitter, and all of a sudden I'm seeing what this all these clips of Don Cherry. 
And everyone's saying, wow, this is it. This is, I mean, what, how, what, how low could he go? Everyone losing their minds over it. I personally, I, I mean, I heard what he said, and absolutely, but before I get too far into this, I want everyone to make sure they understand I do not agree with anything Don said. Donald S. Cherry was out of line, and I know, yes, he's been out of line before, and it's gotten old after a while, and a lot of the stuff he said has gone on, well, no pun intended, sour grapes. So obviously, yesterday was Remembrance Day around the globe, Veterans Day here in the United States. And Don, for anyone who's ever watched Coach's Corner, has been a very heavy proponent for the military, deservedly so. He is the arguably... I don't want to say the most patriotic Canadian, but he is very patriotic and very boastful, which compared to the stereotypical Canadian is very unusual and almost some actually say anti-Canadian or un-Canadian or whatever. So when he said what he said on Saturday night, you knew right away that there was going to be trouble. There was going to be backlash. And I, I remember a, a clip from a coach's corner. I don't know if I remember from the early 90s or late 80s. It was Ron, Ron and Don. This was after the Dave Hodge era. Ron and Don had some, something about, about how a woman got smacked with a puck over the glass or whatever. And he said how it was, you know, women always chat during the games and don't pay attention to the games. And Ron called him out on it. And he pretty much, they, they had a little back and forth. And one of the few times that Ronick stood up to Don Cherry. And another time was when they went back and forth on the Iraq war. Everyone remembers that from around 2003 when that was going on. So the point is, what I'm trying to make here is Ron's been willing to call out Don Cherry. And so when Ron, I guess, allowed Don Cherry to go full tilt and pretty much, he, he, let's be honest, he made a very racist remark. He knew who he was speaking to. He knew who he was pointing the finger at. And that is what got him in a load of trouble. And of course, Ron didn't say anything. Ron, the next day on Hometown Hockey, obviously in a big day because they were doing a lot of stuff for Remembrance Day, for honoring the military, both Canadian and the United States. And he opened the show by apologizing. And he, one of the things he mentioned, I'm paraphrasing here, of how he said, I'm glad that you all called me out on it. Glad you called us out on it. Sportsnet obviously put out a, a press release on Sunday saying that Don's actions were, they were wrong. And once again, I'm all paraphrasing this from Sunday. Then Monday comes around. Obviously, yes, everyone and their mother is pounding away at it. Every sports talk show in Canada, because there, there wasn't... I, then this is me, because I follow a lot of Canadian media, because you know it's got a lot of good hockey stuff. They have excellent writers. And yes, there's still great writers from The Athletic. But there was a lot of media, both mainly Canadian that I saw, but then, of course, a lot of people that I follow on Twitter that write for SB Nation, write for The Athletic, were just having a field day with Don Cherry. Absolutely. Everyone got into their office. Everyone got, opened up their computers and had at her. Which, you know what? How do you, how, why would you expect anything different? It's today's age. Everyone gets a, a lick-in. 
And the, the, a lot of the articles came, everyone was writing about it. And the, the hard part about all this was the fact that, you know, people had not, people who had not watched Don Cherry for all these years, who maybe only known about him for the last five years, have only seen the, the complacent shtick that he's used. You know, the boastful Canadian, you know, outrageous outfits. And, if, I mean, let's be honest, the outfits have probably gotten more outrageous in the 21st century. And so people only see, I guess, the bad side, the rambling side, the incoherent side of Don Cherry. They don't remember the days when he actually was a legitimate analyst. And granted, he's always been very opinionative. He was opinionated when he was a coach. Just look at, you can find videos on YouTube of him doing his old Boston Bruins pressers where he would go on the milk crate above all the rest of the writers and the media and make try to make it look like he was more superior than he than he actually was and and he would obviously tell how it was which obviously always got him in trouble and so i mean of course there was always the incoherentness and of course he always made you know now the infamous you know french canadians and the russians and always saying pro he's pro canada and it it was it always rubbed seemed to rub people the wrong way just a little bit. Sometimes a lot of it. Depends how far he went. And, you know, it was entertaining. And despite people criticizing him, they'd still tune in every Saturday night. And before the days of social media, he was the voice. You know, it was Ron McClain opening the show. And Ron and Don talking about what was going on in the world of hockey. And then this comes out. And, of course... Everyone just has their day with him. And then this, I saw, so I was with uh, Jason Reinold, goaltender of the Davenport D1 hockey team. We were about to do the broadcast for the men's soccer game, the quarterfinal matchup in their conference tournament. And all of a sudden he shows me something on Instagram, and I said, yeah, right, because it didn't look like a credible source. I get on my Twitter, Chris Johnston, Bob McKen even Bob McKenzie, TSN Bob McKenzie, Elliot Friedman, Don Cherry is fired by Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada. And Sportsnet PR puts out this press release. Sports brings people together. This is in quotes, by the quotes. Sports brings people together. It unites us, not divides us. Following further discussions with Don Cherry after Saturday night's broadcast, it has been decided it is the right time for him to immediately step down. During the broadcast, he made divisive remarks that do not resemble represent our values or what we stand for. Don is synonymous with hockey and has played an integral role in growing the game over the past 40 years. We would like to thank Don for his contributions to hockey and sports broadcasting in Canada. End quote. That was from Bart Yobsley, the president of Sportsnet. And I am still... I'm glad I got to sleep on it because I understand. This is a very serious subject. Racism is not allowed in this game. Racism is not allowed in the sport. It shouldn't be allowed on this earth. And what Don said was wrong. And the hard part for me, because I'll be honest, I was right, because I have a game this coming Saturday night at 9.30. Yes, a 9.30 puck drop. It's crazy, right? 
but I would be able to watch Coach's Corner, or at least the first intermission. And I would be interested, I was interested to see what was going to happen. So he told the Toronto Sun earlier today when talking to the press about what happened. First of all, he said he had no problem about being fired, and he refused to apologize. He said, quote, I know what I said, and I meant it. Everybody in Canada should wear a poppy to honor our fallen soldiers, end quote. And I get that. Absolutely, Don. We get that. But he pointed out a certain demographic. He also said, quote, to keep my job, I cannot be turned into a tamed robot, end quote. And, and that's just Don's personality. He's always been that way. I just, I don't understand why... I, I mean, I understand why I did it. It's, it's just going to be weird for the next little while. You know, everyone's you know, saying, oh, Brian Burke's going to be the guy to do Coach's Corner or, you know, whatever, the first intermission, or they'll do an actual, like, X's and O's deal. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. But I'll, I'll, my maybe possibly unpopular opinion is the fact that maybe this could have I, – I, I don't know how it could have been handled. I, I'm not in that room. I don't want to be in that room. That, that's a decision you never want to make. He was voted the seventh most popular Canadian in Canadian history. Guys, this guy is, he's synonymous with hockey, synonymous with Hockey Night in Canada. And you know what? And the best, actually, you know what? Here is something I can say. And a lot of you, if any of you older fans may get this, it's kind of like Jimmy the Greek, the story of Jimmy the Greek. NFL Today was synonymous with it. Big voice for the NFL, he's NFL broadcasting. Says a few things about racist, uh, about African American players, and away he goes. It's, just, and I don't say just like that, but very similar. It's a very similar story here. So that's why now we're gonna have to see how they move on. It is such a weird and crazy time. And yes, if you look at back at the stuff he used to say back in the day, absolutely he would have been fired a lot sooner had that happened today. I get that. And that's just and that that's just the world we live in. And there's no there is no place for what Don said on Saturday night. Because I have a lot of I've worked with a lot of people who are immigrants. I've I have helped out folks in my industry, in my everyday lives that are immigrants. And to go out and say something like that, I know Don's opinionated, he's very pro-Canadian, I get that, but to try to, I mean, I, I, you know what? I mean, he, he's sticking to his guns, but you know, that's what got him fired. And, it, and it's a shame because, you know what? This, despite all the dumb things he said over the years, I still tuned in. I was still interested. I remember there was a guy that used to post YouTube videos or the, the Coach's Corner on YouTube because sometimes when I was playing and now that I'm broadcasting, I'd miss Coach's Corner. So I needed to find a way to watch it because those seven and a half minutes, to the, you know what, these days they may not have been important news. I mean, Saturday headlines has become the go-to place. You know, like Hot Stove, how it used to be. It, it's the go-to place for all your news nowadays. But still, Don Cherry was must-see. And now he's gone. Because of a mistake he made and a mistake that he's going to stick to, and that's what cost him his job. Would, it have, would you have liked it to at least pan out through this season and maybe see him retire? Absolutely. You know, Don, that he would never have retired. So, 
I mean, we'll have to see what happens. And I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds very somber. I know I should be a little more up in what's going on. And, of course, the interview with Lewis we'll get here in a couple minutes is going to be the headliner of the show along with the, like, I guess, co-headliner with doing the Todd Crocker interview. But, you know, this came about and it had to be talked about. I wish Alex was here to talk about this as well because I would love to hear his take on it. Unfortunately, he is out and about working his job. He's working basketball tonight and could not make it for this week's episode. We'll talk. I think we'll probably get a word on it with him next week. But it's it's a shame. It's a shame that it had to end like this. And, you know, I, I mean, I still have the Rock'em Sock'ems. I have, I have the, my Kelly's her sister and her boyfriend got me the 25, 25th anniversary collection and the, thir- and the last one, uh, Rock'em Sock'em 30. And I, I had to go on Amazon and buy 26 through 29. I could not have gone without having the complete box set. The complete set. So I made sure I got those. And I have them on. I'll watch them. Absolutely. Because why? It's entertainment. And will I ever agree with what he said? No. And never will. Has he said a lot of dumb stuff throughout his career? Absolutely. Will it be odd tuning in Saturday night and watching the first period go and try to figure out what's next? It will be weird. It will be different, but as they always say, the show must go on. And so we'll see what happens on Hockey Night in Canada this Saturday, which could feature possibly Casimir Kaskasuo. But like I said, we will talk about that later on when we get to the recorded interview I recorded this past Saturday morning with Todd Crocker, an interview I'm extremely excited. You know, you don't have no idea how hard it is to sit on interview on an interview like that because it it was such a fun time talking to him. Like I said, I'll get to more of that here in a minute. We will bring in, like I said, we're gonna be talking to Lewis Pannone of the hockey writers here momentarily. And we'll get all the news on the coyotes who are currently or I believe they're about to drop the puck here tonight. They are playing on the second half of back to back against St. Louis. They actually dropped the puck at eight o'clock Eastern time, so Lewis may sound distracted if he's not watching the game because the Coyotes did win last night in Washington, so they had to quickly fly out to St. Louis after that. That's going to be miserable. But it will be interesting. A couple other things we'll talk about later on. We will definitely talk about the Nick Foligno suspension, the hit he threw on Belmare this past weekend that got him three games, a suspension that I deem... I'm interested to talk a little bit more about it because it is, it, it's just a weird play all around. We will also, along with Todd Crocker, we'll be talking about more, a little bit about what's going on in the Metro Division. We'll talk about, a little bit more about the Devils, because I am interested to talk about what in the world is going on in a division that I thought was going to be wild. It's just realizing that it's wild in all the wrong ways, including Carolina's win last night, an 8-2 to two win. Over the Senators, and I know the Senators are a bad hockey team. Don't get me wrong; I'm not gonna, not gonna knock that one. And now we are joined by our guest here this evening. He is the one of the writers for the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Writers. He is an Arizona State alum, big Arizona sports fan. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Louis Pannone. Louis, how are we doing tonight? I am excellent. How are you doing? 
I am doing well. Let's uh, let's let's get off the bad stuff here. We just got over with Don Cherry talking about him. Let's talk about some good news here. The Arizona Coyotes doing pretty well so far this season. They had a, a, prob a probably a really good second half last season. It's kind of turned into a lot this year, including a win last night in Washington, a shootout victory, and a win that is interesting because it almost didn't happen thanks to the friends in Toronto on the video review. Kind of, I don't want to say helped them out, but it really saved the game for them in overtime. Absolutely, I gotta, I gotta admit, I gotta be honest. I did turn the game off as soon as that goal was scored. Then you know, scrolling through Twitter, I see some stuff like, "Hey, that might have been offside." So I'm like, "All right, where's the remote?" You know, get back to the hockey game. Monday night football is not that important, so um, did get some help on that uh, that call. But it was, it was looked like it didn't look like it was offside. So it was a good call there, and luckily got the shootout win. Um, obviously. He, You'd rather win that in regulation, especially when you have a, a 3-0 lead at one point in the game. But I guess you'll take the two points, and you won't worry about the uh, the tiebreaker against uh, Eastern Conference team. You know, you'll take the two and be happy. Yeah, that. Especially and, but it, it's it was just like a, it was a weird game because they started off so well, and and I'm gonna kind of reference it a little bit later on. But you talked about how the Coyotes played a little bit of a quote. They quote from Mark Spector is boring hockey. We'll get to that article in a minute here, but <laughs> but they start out hot against one of the best offensive teams. And in this team, the story of the season, and I want to mention Antti Ranta here because I was going to ask you about him, and one of the questions was, is he still a goaltender that can be a quality goaltender in the NHL? And then he puts up a pretty good performance last night, to say the least. Absolutely. I would say he's, he's probably capable of being a starter if he could just stay healthy, which hasn't been the case so far. So, like you said, um, you know, he's, he can still be a good goaltender, but... I think the way the Coyotes are using him now and kind of that, that tandem role as, you know, the, he's the 40 of the 60-40 split, I would say. That's probably like going to be his, his role going forward in his career just based on the fact that he struggled with injuries so far and until we see something different, that's kind of the role he's going to be in. But um, like you said, I think he had an outstanding game last night against a very tough team on the road. The Coyotes had to travel all the way across the country after playing on uh, on Saturday. So. Um, it was a tough one for the Coyotes, and they they got that win pretty much all, all because of Auntie Ranta in that game. And he was a big point. And when he was came when he came over from the Rangers, because he had such a good, I guess a, a good backup career. I guess you can say it does sound odd when he came over from the Rangers, but it seemed like well, as soon as he got hurt, it's like wow, this ended up not working out. And but now I guess going back to that backup role that he was playing with the Rangers is almost helping him. And and Darcy Kemper. I, I swear, because I remember it seemed like 10 years ago now, even though it's probably only a few, when he was <laughs> coming on crazily out of nowhere with the Minnesota Wild. But now he's slowly looking like a consistent NHL goaltender, an NHL starter, which really has been, I guess, not his forte, at least when his time with Minnesota. Yeah, he's been like a revelation here in Arizona. Uh, last year, obviously, we, we talked about Ronta got hurt last year pretty early on. And that was kind of, um, you know, one of those, oh, here we go again moments. You know, it's going to be another lost season. But then in comes Darcy Kemper. I think he started, I want to say, 25, 26 straight games down the stretch there. They're trying to make the playoffs. So undoubtedly was their, their team MVP last year. Just ridiculous stats. Every night he, he kept them in the game. Even if they didn't win the game, he, they, were, they were close because of him. So, um, and like you mentioned, he, he's been kind of around the block a little bit. He started in Minnesota and then, then went to the Kings, if I'm not mistaken. He spent a year as, as Quicks back up there, um, then came to Arizona. So he's been well-traveled throughout his career, but I think he's, he's finally found a home in Arizona. Just he's, 
based on last season's finish and this season's start, I think he's 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 more than proven that he's capable of being a starting goaltender at the NHL level. Yeah, his best save percentage was back in that year with the Kings of a 9-3-2. He's had a 9-2-5 last year, but he started in 55 games, which is almost doubled his best. He played 31 back in 2014-2015, which I think that was back when he was trying to split time with Josh Harding. That's how long ago it was when he was considered a <laughs> starter. But It's been a hot minute. Oh, it, he's... It's so interesting because I always cheer for the the underdog goaltenders. You know, I've always loved watching. That's why I, I hope Jack Campbell always try to figure it out with L.A., but he's such, on such a bad team. And Lorraine Bessois oh, and Winnipeg, and I, I want him to do well. That's why Kemper actually getting time and showing out that he can be a number one goaltender is so heartwarming to me. But what can be even more heartwarming, even though it's warm enough down there in Arizona, the team, <laughs> the Coyotes started off this year. They're 10-6-3 now. They won, or excuse me, 9-6-3. They won a good number of their first 14 games. I believe they won, what, 9 out of their first 12, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's correct, yes. Something close to that, yes. Was this really expected? I know bringing Phil Kessel in brought a lot of attention to the team, but was this success expected this early on? Um, I, I, I've kind of split in the middle on that. Um, obviously after the finish they had last year, you could, you could maybe see it coming, but, um, then you get off to that slow start, you, you get shut out and for the home opener, you scored only one goal against Anaheim in the, the season opener. So kind of got off to a, a little bit of a slow start and then just really turned it on. Um, I think a lot of people had high expectations this season, you know, maybe make the playoffs for the first time since 2012, but I don't think too many people saw um, the nine, two and two start coming. I think it was what it was at one point. So um, definitely a great start. And it's got, gone backwards a little bit here in the last couple of games, lost to Minnesota and Columbus on home ice, which were tough ones. But um, the win last night is, I think it was their 10th win of the season. And I think it took them maybe 25, 30 games to get 10 wins a couple of years ago. So definitely ahead of schedule with the, with the wins. So um, I think they're about right where, most Arizonans thought they'd be. They'd, they'd be in contention, not quite at the top um, like they were down the second half last year. I think they might have had the, the sixth or seventh or eighth best record after the All-Star break last year. Um, so I don't think we expected quite that level of performance, but they, they are playing at a playoff level, which is not surprising. And I know for the way too early look at the standings, they are third in the Pacific, but you really can't judge a team's, I guess, standings position until, I say after American Thanksgiving, so around between that and Christmas, I'd say it's a good time to start looking at it. But still, when you're still three points out of first, and I get it, Calgary's not been as good this year, but Edmonton is looking impressive. But one of the biggest stats here, Lewis, that I keep looking at here, and I still can't figure it out because the Coyotes have been shelled by so many teams throughout, I guess, their history, you could say. This team right now is, I believe, in the top three or top four in goals allowed. By that, I mean at least amount of goals allowed so far this season. Right now, they have 44 goals against, which ties them with Pittsburgh, and they only trail Boston and the Islanders, who somehow still have that defensive gauntlet out in the island. What has been the biggest difference in the defense? Obviously, Nicholas Jalmerson has gone to the wayside. That is long since overdue. But you have Oliver ekman Larson leading a defense corps that can kind of, it's really starting to impress a lot of teams around the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last season down the stretch, it was kind of the same thing. Um, I, I want to say they, they finished tight with the Blues last year for fifth fewest goals. So to see them in that top five again this year isn't that surprising. Um, compared to years past, I'd say that, that just the veteran presence they have on the blue line, 
Uh, you already mentioned Yalmerson. Uh, you got Jason Demers, Alex Goligoski out there. Um, th- some veteran presence out there, which is which is helping along guys like Jacob Chikrin and and Oliver Ekman Larson to, to kind of you know play that solid level of NHL hockey. And just a quick moment on Chikrin, he's he's been looking like he might overtake Ekman Larson here this year. He's been playing on the, the number one power play. He's been getting the, the big minutes, and he's healthy really for the first time in his career. So uh, Jacob Chikrin really might be a player to keep an eye on this season in Arizona on that defense. But um, just that structure they're playing under Rick Tocca, just that that defensive, uh, you know, not really giving up too many chances uh, style of hockey uh, is really working out for them. And they have the goaltending to go with it, too, uh, in Ranta and Kemper. So just that strong veteran blue line and the two strong goaltenders, and you're, you got a top five defense, and that's what the Coyotes have. It's funny. Rick Tockett played a lot in the, the – he played the live puck era in the 80s with the Flyers, and he played in the dead puck era in the 90s with the Coyotes and and such. Do you – and now, well, I guess we'll reference the article here that you wrote last week. It was after the win over the Oilers, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, it, it was, it was in you, the title of the article on the hockey writers. I suggest all of you go out and look at it. It's, it is boring. Hockey is good enough for the coyotes. And it's so interesting because people in this day and age want the high scoring games. They keep trying to make sure that the goal scoring goes up, whether it's make the goaltending equipment smaller, make the nets bigger, call more penalties, do what you got to do. But, the Coyotes saying, "Are you know take off with that? We're going to play our own game here," and they're almost. It looks like I. I swear it's Jacques Lemaire texting Rick Tockett what to do. He's trying to bring back the one-three-one like the Devils <laughs> had in the nineties. I swear. Yeah, um, like like you mentioned that the article. I think on Monday after the game, there was an article out of uh, Edmonton that was kind of really not really nice towards the Coyotes, just kind of saying that they're they're boring and they're not really exciting brand of hockey or anything like that. This is after a win, mind you, in overtime. It was, I think it was a 3-2 overtime win for the Coyotes. So I think any team would, would be happy with a 3-2 win. That's plenty of excitement right there. Um, but really, it was kind of just an article that had a lot of negative stuff about the Coyotes, going back to the, the financial situation and going back to the attendance and how, oh, the tickets are only $20 and all that stuff. But the fans in Arizona might be excited by it, but us in Canada aren't impressed, that sort of stuff. So, um you know, like you mentioned, the, the defensive style of hockey really isn't going to be going anywhere. Uh, it's, it's worked in the past, and it's, I don't expect to see it going away anytime soon. Um, if you can defend and you got goaltending, you're, you're always going to have a chance to win, and, and that's kind of what the Coyotes have settled on. I think, um, you know, John Chaika has, has kind of come to the realization that he's not going to really be able to be a, a big-time player in free agency. Like, you're not really going to get that Artemi Panera and that Matt Duchesne in free agency. So um, went out and traded for Phil Kessel. Um, and use the young guys he has here, along with those veterans he already has here, and and put in that that defensive style of hockey. And it's it's so far so good for the Coyotes. We'll get to Chaka here in a second, but I will tell you, if there were twenty dollar tickets in Canada, you're asking what junior game are you talking about? There's no such thing as a twenty dollar <laughs> ticket in Canada. Maybe even Va- maybe Vancouver, because Vancouver hasn't sold out. I'm pretty sure since the Leafs last came to town, but. I mean, that was, and I believe the article, the recap was written by Mark Spector, which is odd because usually it's Mark Spector giving it to the Oilers, but now the Oilers are good, so now he can't do that. He's got to put it on someone else. And Give it to the Coyotes a little bit. And it's, it's funny because, so quick little funny story here for you, Lewis. I don't think it's, it's maybe not funny for you. It's a little funny for me <laughs> looking back because we did, so back in Michigan, we had something called the ACT, which pretty much was our, was our SAT in high school. And they said write an argumentative essay. And at the time, this would have been 20, 
2011-2012 season, which was ironically right before they went on that playoff run, there was obviously the financial issues with the then Phoenix Coyotes. And I wrote an article pretty much saying, I wrote my, my essay was based on, you know, my argument, a piece of why the Coyotes should leave Arizona. And you should go to Quebec City or Seattle or even, I think at that point, Don Cherry mentioned about you know, Saskatchewan because it is a very rich province in Canada. But it's not that way anymore. And you kind of mentioned it in your article of how they've been able to kind of overcome it. And the Coyotes franchise is a lot more stable than it was six or seven years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 2009 was, was the bankruptcy with the previous ownership. Uh, Jerry Moyes, um, a lot of shady stuff going on there. Eventually ended in a, in a bankruptcy, which really you know sent the attendance down. Um, the on-ice performance that held out for a couple of years with, with NHL ownership. You, you made a couple of playoff appearances there. And then you went into that downturn starting in uh, 2012, 2013. So, um, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it was rough back then, but you, you, you're seeing the growth now. The attendance, I think, is, is over 15,000 a game for the first time since, I want to say, 2005, 2006. So, um, attendance is, is places it hasn't really been in 15 years. Uh, the team is winning, and that should, you know, Phoenix is a notorious bandwagon city since everyone's from somewhere else. You know, you're not really going to give up those old allegiances unless the home team is winning. So uh, that's always been a problem for the Coyotes and even the Suns, um, really. So if the Coyotes can keep winning some games, I expect to see that attendance keep going up. Uh, you got some new ownership, uh, a billionaire, Alex Marullo. So um, John Chica has been able to spend to almost a salary cap this year to put a competitive team on the ice, and, and things are really looking in a positive direction. And then, you know, off the ice, of course, you got Austin Matthews. You can't really – Compare with that, you know, what he, what he, what that's meant for Arizona to have a player of that caliber be from the state of Arizona. You know, it's it's definitely been a huge positive for the state of Arizona hockey. Well, it's funny because you talk about how the Suns aren't that good. I remember the the home opener for the Arizona Cardinals. It was against the Lions, and it looked like the building was half full. The stadium was, and I'm like, this is a home opener, and nobody's there. <laughs> but go, and it's funny you mentioned Austin Matthews because I remember a piece of now the. Uh, Bob McCowan, who has since moved on from Sportsnet, he ran Primetime Sports, the big radio show on Sportsnet 590. He said, why doesn't John Chayka just offer, this was before, obviously, the Austin Matthews contract. He's like, why, is, why would John Chayka in the summer on July 1st not offer Austin Matthews $17 million? And I, I, I said that, I remember I tweeted out, I'm like, if Bob's serious right now, guys, I cannot handle, because I am, I mean, unfortunately right now I'm a Leafs fan. I, I, uh, I've been, unfortunately, a Leafs fan for the last... 15 years of my life, but going back to John Chayka, he just signed an extension here, and early on, I would say, given the fact that the Coyotes were not the best hockey team on the ice, they there was questions on what Chayka's methods were. Nobody was sure if he was actually just a you know mad scientist that was destroying all of his experiments, or if it was actually going to pan out, and it's finally starting, you're finally starting to see the fruits of his labor with this current Coyotes team. Absolutely. Um, when he took over, there was really a, a bare cupboard from, from Don Maloney. Uh, there really wasn't too much there in terms of prospects or really NHL caliber players for that matter. So he's really, you know, started off with, with nothing. He's had to build this thing back up. Um, you know, he's dra- made some, made some outstanding draft picks, uh, Clayton Keller, Jacob Chikrin, Barrett Hayton, um, some good tra- trades. We already mentioned the Ronta trade from the Rangers a couple of years ago, uh, the Phil Kessel trade this summer. So um, he's done some, some pretty solid work in, in the front office there since he took over and uh, he was rewarded with that contract extension. Um, and like you mentioned, he, he, the team wasn't that good a couple of years ago. I think that had a lot to do with uh, the, the, the money 
situation. They really didn't have that much money to spend. So Chaika was kind of stockpiling young players and, and draft picks to, to kind of wait to make that move once they did get that ownership situation settled. Now here we are with the new owner, uh, traded for Phil Kessel and Carl Soderberg over the summer and, and able to get some extensions out to guys like Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller and to keep some of those young players here. And, and things are, are working out nicely for him. And you got, you got the contract extension as a result. And you talk about Nick Schmaltz, and he, he's almost like a feel-good story. He's had so many injury problems. He had a good year a few years back with the Blackhawks. He came over in a trade. It was a trade, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It wasn't free agency. Yes, right? that's correct, a trade. And so and he seemed like you know he brought in a lot of positive, you know, optimism with his talent. Gets hurt, though, but this season, so far, so good. Knock on wood. 15 points in 18 games, and leading the team in points right now, and you know his talent's there, but was he really expected to step up like this so far? Um, I would say he was. there was the hope that he'd become a player like this. I think uh, most people would be happy with a 40- or 50-point year from him. So for him, having 15 points in 18 games is definitely an unexpected, um, pleasant surprise. And then you mentioned the trade. They sent uh, Dylan Strom and, and Brendan Perlini the other way. Um, so that was really kind of a here's my flawed prospect for your flawed prospect sort of thing. And it's working out for both teams. Really. Uh, Dylan Strom is, is lighting it up for the Blackhawks and, and Nick Schmaltz is lighting it up in Arizona. So that's one of those rare trades where it, where it worked out for both teams and, and especially Nick Schmaltz. He got that contract extension and now he's out here healthy this year and, and really playing some, some outstanding hockey for the Coyotes. And I'd, I'd say that that trade worked out amazingly for, for both teams. And sometimes those trades are literally just shots saying, all right, let's just, Let's just see what happens here. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, whatnot. But a guy that's kind of following closely behind, kind of similar point range with three goals and eight assists, is Clayton Keller. And his first first part of his rookie season, he looked like the Calder guy and then kind of fell off a little bit. But he's starting to find his groove here in the NHL. He's starting, I guess, grow into his body a little bit more. He's playing a little bit bigger minutes. And he's putting up the points as well. Yeah, you mentioned the rookie year. I think um, he probably would have won that Calder Trophy if it wasn't for Matt Bar- Barzell a couple of years ago. He was just far and away better than everyone else. Um, you know, sophomore slump last year, which is not unexpected. It's unfortunate, but wasn't unexpected. Um, and then this year, like you mentioned, uh, he got off to a little bit of a slow start this year, I- I'd say. Um, but he's really turned it on as of late. You mentioned the 11 points. Um, you know, I think he's expected to be a 60-point guy here in Arizona. And I think he has the talent to do so. So it's just a matter of him putting it all together. And uh, still a young player, still only his, his third year in the NHL. So um, still got a lot of growing to do. You, you mentioned he's, he's, he's kind of a smaller player, so he's got to really figure out how to play at, at the NHL level and avoid those big hits and, and learn how to make those plays with, with the guys all around him. So um, he's definitely been good this season, and I'm expected, uh, excited to see how he, uh, he really continues to, to, to develop down the stretch here. He did sign his $7.15 million extension that takes him through, if I'm not mistaken, the 2028 season. That was one yeah. that we kind of criticized a little bit based on the fact that he had not put up a whole lot of points so far in his career. What is your take on that extension? Um, just based on how last season or this offseason went with all the RFAs, uh, all the stuff that went on there, I'd say that was a smart move by Chaika. I'm kind of getting out in front of that thing a little bit. Uh, the 7.15 million could be um, considered a steal in a couple of years if he if he keeps developing. If he's a, a 60, 70 point guy, that could be you know a, a pretty team friendly contract. So 
I think John Chuck just really wanted to get that done. Didn't want to have to worry about it this summer, uh, especially with what we saw with Mitch Marner and then um, all don't, the other guys. We don't don't remind us. Don't remind us. We heard <laughs> enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think John Chica was, was watching intently and didn't want the same thing to happen. So just got it done now and he doesn't, doesn't have to worry about that for, for a while. And that, that's, that's going to be a, a team-friendly contract if Clayton Keller keeps uh, producing like he has been. And, and one of the things is I'm actually I'm looking at the, the cap. I'm looking at capfriendly.com, which, by the way, is the greatest tool in the history of mankind. Currently, since the Coyotes have so much LTIR with all the, the contracts they picked up, they are currently the highest spending team right now in the NHL by cap space alone, or cap hits at least. But the common misconception is what the Coyotes, why they can't attract players, because they never actually had any money. People always think, why, how can they hit, just hit the cap floor? You know, can't you just you know, give all these players because they have so much cap room? Why can't they bring in talent? It's because they'd never had any money. And now, like you said, with the ownership group coming in, there actually is dough coming in for the franchise, so they actually will be able to spend money. But for the longest time... They couldn't bring anyone in because they literally could not pay anybody. Yeah, absolutely. They, they had the cap space. They probably had $20, $30 million in cap space the last few years. Just really, like you said, they didn't have the, the actual physical money to spend that on, the, on players. So um, now they have that. And like you mentioned, they're, they're one of the higher spending teams. I think Marion Hosa might be their only player on LTIR right now, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of that, or rest of that money is just straight up salary. So um, they're spending a lot of money this year and then the results are, are paying off. You, you can't really, you know, every once in a while you'll see a team win some games and make the playoffs with a, a lower payroll, but that's not really the norm. So, um, you got to spend some money to, to win in the NHL and the Coyotes are finally at a, at a place where they can do that. Of course, everyone remembers, you know, the great Arizona Coyotes like Chris Pronger and Pavel Datsuk, of course. All right, there's my oh, one. Oh, yeah, you got to There's my one. the Datsuk and Pronger jerseys whenever you get a chance here. Oh, absolutely. I, those are, that's my one joke about the Coyotes here today because, I, cause like I said, you know, the numbers are starting to grow there. And, I, and, of course, everyone remembers the early 2000s, the late 90s, you know, the Roenick, the Kachuk years, Happy Boolean years, when the whiteout was... It was actually intense. Like it's not. I don't know if it's comparable to Winnipeg's now because Winnipeg is in such a small building in the FTS Bell Place. But when the when the Coyotes were in that run when they first came, because everyone's like, "Wow, an expansion team! How can they be good?" They were literally just the Jets, who were a decent team, just moved to the South. The whiteout went with them, and that used to be actually a very tough place to play in the playoffs. Yeah, back at the old uh, uh, America West Arena downtown, I think. Uh it was kind of the same situation as Barclays Center. It wasn't really built for hockey, so the seats are right on top of the ice. Everyone was close to the ice, and uh, so that place was, was definitely a tough place to play back in the day. Um, you know, I think that they did a, a great job of, of having success immediately, like similar to how Vegas has done it. Um, there's no better way to, to build a fan base than to win some games and make the playoffs. So uh, the Coyotes were able to do that in the, era of the 90s and 2000s, and unfortunately it kind of, Took a took a swan dive a little bit at the end of the, the middle of that decade in 2000, so kind of lost that momentum. Um, so they got to work to get it back, and I think they're taking a good step this year to, to get back to the playoffs and and get that whiteout back to Glendale in, in 2020. Um, 2012 was a long time ago. I was a, a freshman in college back then, so I think a lot of people would love to see the whiteout again in 2020. And, and you know the Coyotes are going to do their best to make that happen. Back when Mike Smith was busy throwing his stick around and Dustin Penner oh, yeah. was Dustin. <laughs> And Dustin Penner was kneeing guys, or was it Dustin Penner in the was that knee in the playoffs? I forget about that. Was it Penner or was it Brown? I think that was Dustin Brown. Uh, oh yeah, in, that uh, makes sense. Conference finals back yeah. in the day. He 
yeah, people still love him in Arizona because of that. That uh, you know, Dustin Brown every time gets a a solid ovation. We'll, we'll say that. Uh, round of applause or a few extra words that we can't say here on the show. <laughs> uh, some some rated R words, of course. Some NSFW, Dustin of course. It, and I'm curious, Lewis. Do do you think because Glendale isn't really? I guess would you? I'm trying to think because. The Ottawa Centers don't play in Ottawa. They play in Canada. I don't know why they're not called the Ontario Centers at this point. Haven't followed the Arizona Coyotes method yet. But <laughs> do you think the Coyotes' popularity would do better if they were in Phoenix, or do you think the location they're at now is actually suitable for the Coyotes? Um, I think they would be a lot better off in the East Valley, but I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker for them. Um, we've seen this year the attendance has been up because they've been competitive. Um, so I think if they're just winning games consistently, they should be able to, to do okay with the attendance. Um, long-term, I, I do think they need to go downtown or in the east side somewhere, maybe Scottsdale. Um, yeah, that arena is, is pretty hard to get to. I work in Tempe. Um, so right now, if it was like Cardi's game night, I'd be an hour and 15 minutes away from the arena. So I'd, I'd be missing puck drop if I left right now. So um, it is hard to get to, um, you know, Glendale, especially on weekdays coming from the East Valley. Uh, I think they would be better served to, to be more centrally located. But um, like I said, that Phoenix is, is a bandwagon city. Everyone's from somewhere else. And um, if the local teams are winning, then there'll be support. And if not, there, there won't be. And that's been the case for the last few years. There hasn't really been the support. So we'll see what happens if they can continue their, their winning ways this year. See that, Senators fans? You're not the only team that is not centralized and having and hoping they move back to the big city. So they can. So now, <laughs> there you go. You just help the Senators fans feel a little better. It's actually interesting because I know quite a few people that are from out west in northwestern Canada and western Canada that go down to Arizona because it it's like everyone likes to go straight south. Like everyone in Ontario, Quebec, they'll go to Florida, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, they'll go to Texas, and British Columbia and Alberta, they go to Arizona. For some reason, they skip over like the by like Louisiana, Mississippi in the east, and they skip New Mexico and just go straight to Phoenix. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it's because they are bigger cities in those states. I, that could be the thing, but it is a nice place to go. Of course, I know a lot of people like to go to Arizona for the Cactus League in spring training. That's always fun to go watch. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, the spring. There's nothing like the springtime in Arizona. You got so much going on. You mentioned the spring training. You got. The Phoenix Open Golf Tournament, which is basically a four-day beer-drinking extravaganza. Um, <laughs> it sounds like my kind of party. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always a good time out there. Um, yeah, Phoenix is, is a great place to visit in the winter. Um, the, the Coyotes do benefit a lot from that, especially when the Canadian teams are in town. You'll see a lot of uh, Winnipeg fans, especially uh, Calgary fans, Edmonton fans at the games when their teams in, are in town. And even when they're not, you know, the, the Coyotes played Minnesota on Saturday this week, and you see all kinds of Edmonton, uh, Calgary jerseys in the crowd, and those, those people come to the games and support the team that they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're partial home, I guess you could say. They're, they're snowbird home. Um, so you see a lot of Canadians out there at the games. The Coyotes do benefit from that. And uh, I think Arizona definitely is, is a good tourist destination. And similar to Vegas, they, they benefit a lot from that. Well, I, I remember one of the, I guess, one of the last few times we went to the playoffs was the 2010 series against Detroit that seven-game series that nobody expected. But it was funny. The first couple games in Phoenix, or I guess in, excuse me, in Glendale, they were very pro-Coyotes. They were, like, loud, and the white was great. And by game seven, it was all Red Wings fans. And I'm like, wow, nobody expected them to get that far into the series, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, especially Chicago fans out here, a lot of Detroit fans, um, New York fans, a lot of them uh, move here and kind of 
hang on to their teams. They don't, they don't convert. So, um, you know, that's a common misconception. A lot of people say, oh, no one in Arizona likes hockey. But there's a lot of hockey fans here. They just don't, uh, there's just a lot more Blackhawks fans and Rangers fans and, and Montreal fans and that, that sort of thing than Coyotes fans. So a lot of hockey fans here. And I think if the Coyotes can win some games, they maybe can, can win some of them over. Well, I mean, that's always happens. I mean, I, I cheer for the Griffins when they're not playing the Marlies, but I'm a Leafs fan. I mean, yeah, I got to cheer for the local team a little bit. I'm not Definitely, one. Of, yeah. I, am, I am not one of those people, though, that wears a Leaf sweater to a game that the Leafs are not a part in. I, I cannot be one of those difficult people. It's just <laughs> I feel awkward. I did it one year for New Year's Eve because that was the year of the Centennial Classic. So I had to, you know, rep my Leafs and let all the Red Wings fans know who I was cheering for. Yeah, that was really. The, that was the only time. Every other time I did, every I see someone do that, I'm just like, "Are, are you just being difficult? Why?" <laughs> yeah, I, I think I did that one time also. I, I wore a, a Coyotes hat to the Staples Center. I was in L.A. for a, a concert, I think, and I went to a Kings game while I was there, and I wore wore my Coyotes hat. And the guy next to me is like, "You know, what that? What the hell are you doing? Why are you wearing a Coyotes hat?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, well." I'm in town on vacation. He's like, well, you know, maybe don't wear that next time. And I'm like, uh, don't tell me how to live my life, you know? You're telling me there's a, a Kings fan, a diehard Kings fan, not a celebrity that got paid to go there? Well, I was sitting in the upper deck, so that explains ah, that. Ah, yes. See, you didn't, you didn't get the <laughs> that. I was legit in the last row of the upper deck. That was that. Those are some nosebleeds at the Staples Center up oh, there. Holy cow. I, it's Yeah, my dad went to a game this past uh, last season. And he said, oh, yeah, we sat far up there. But, I mean, I, I guess the – the rinks that I've been in, there's not really much of a bad view that I've been in, at least. There's not many. I mean, Barclays Center aside, they're all pretty solid rinks in terms of view. You can pretty much sit anywhere and you're fine. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely the case in, in Glendale. Um, I've sat in plenty of times in the nosebleeds back in the college days when you, you're broke and you're just trying to get in the door. You know, you get, oh, Rosie, yeah, sign me up. You know, there's, there's not really a bad seat in the house in Glendale. And, and like you said, really... Uh, most NHL arenas out there that I've, I've been fortunate enough to visit haven't really had a bad seat in the house. So hockey's one of those games you can really sit anywhere and, and have a good time. So let's get back to this Coyotes team from this season. There, are, I'm going to ask you about a couple players here. Who has been the most surprising player? Or I don't say maybe who, but what has been what has impressed you the most? Who has surprised you most so far in the first month and a half of the season? I would have to say, without a doubt, it's been Connor Garland. Um, you know, he's a guy that's been in the, in the Coyotes farm system for a long time. He was a big-time scorer um, back in the Q, uh, Quebec Major Junior League back in the day. Um, I think he, he won the scoring title in back-to-back years and tied with Dylan Strom once and, and won it by himself another time. So uh, he's been in the AHL for a couple of years, got a crack at the NHL last year, did, did really well, um, and then has really come out on fire this year. I think he has maybe eight goals or seven goals in his first 18 games. So... Just been a, a really solid start for Connor Garland. He's really showcasing that scoring ability that that got him so many points in junior hockey. And I think um, if he can continue to do that, he's going to be a, a pretty outstanding draft steal for John Chaika. I think he was a fifth round draft pick. So um, Connor Garland probably is, is my number one uh, surprise for the Coyotes this year. Yeah, he was first team first team All Star back in fifteen and sixteen, and the QMJHL Player of the Year back in two thousand fifteen, which led him to be drafted by the Coyotes in the fifth round. I love looking at just random stats because I, I, I remember, I recognize the name Garland. I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's funny because I do follow junior hockey, they follow the CHL up in Canada. And it's always funny to hear names like, man, I remember that name from somewhere. And all of a sudden you look where he played for because you watch like the, the Friday night hockey on sports. And it's like, ah, yeah. I know that guy now. 
Because I mean, <laughs> when Michael Hutchinson first came, I'm like where was where did he play? And I'm like, oh, he played junior over here. And I'm just like, oh yeah, and just the these names that come about, and of course that the nice exposure for that, of course, like guys like Dylan Strom, and of course Max Domi, they were on Team Canada in the World Junior, so that's always a good showcase, of course. Absolutely. And, and yes, those are the guys that I unfortunately do no longer play with the Coyotes, and. I guess you can say maybe Max Domi is a little disappointing, but for this year's team, who has, I guess, been the most disappointing this year so far? Not to bring it back, not to try to bring you down negatively, but who do you think should be better for the Coyotes? Um, I would have to lean Oliver ekman Larson on that one. Um, we talked about it before. He's, he's kind of lost his number one power play spot to, to Jacob Chikrin a little bit. Um, he hasn't really been uh, doing a whole lot on the offensive end of the ice this, this season. Um, I'm not sure what it is, what it could be. Maybe he's focusing more on playing defense, which which definitely could be the case. But it just seems like he's, he's struggled to, to generate anything offensively, and the Coyotes' power play has struggled as a result. So I think the Coyotes are really are looking for uh, more from Oliver Ackman Larson. And that was a big part, because a few years ago, before he signed that long-term extension, there was comparison that he was going to be a very big free agent when he hit, if he hit them excuse me, if he hit the market and he was being compared to like, you know, what Drew Doughty was going to make and those big name defensemen. And when he first signed, everyone's like, what are you doing? You can go somewhere else. But he saw something that this team was going to move forward. And maybe he felt like maybe that was the best offer he was going to get was with the Coyotes. And, you know, now he's part of a team that's competitive. But do you think it's almost a good thing that, you know, Jakara is actually taking his spot maybe to maybe add a little bit to maybe make Ekman Larson become the old, the Ekman Larson of old that earned him all that money? That is a good question. Um, it, it's been an interesting couple of years for Ekman Larson. You, you've seen the numbers decline. I think he scored, I want to say 20 goals in back-to-back years a couple of years ago and hasn't really come close to that since. So um, you wonder if, if um, that contract is going to be, end up being worth the money or, or what, but um yeah, like, like John Chica definitely is really hoping for Ekman Larson to, to come around here because that's a lot of money for a long time tied up there. And you're going to need a lot of guys like that stepping up if this team wants to be a playoff team, which brings me to my final question here, Lewis. Are the Coyotes, despite their position right now in the standings, despite how they started, are they a legitimate playoff contender? I would say yes. Um, we talked about the defense and goaltending already. If you have that, you're going to win a lot of games, even if you're not really scoring on offense. Um, you know, being able to win games 2-1 or 3-2 or if you have to, without really having to score four or five goals to win, um, that's never really going to go away. Um, it's never really going to go away. Uh, that's going to travel. You can go on the road and play defensive hockey and win games on a long road trip. So I would say, yes, they're, they're a playoff contender, um, especially uh, more so on, on how the division really is stacking up this year. Um, you mentioned Calgary struggling this year. Uh, San Jose has got off to a really slow start. Uh, even Vegas isn't really playing that good right now. So uh, that division is, is kind of wide open. Uh, the Oilers are, are looking probably like the number one team right now, but, you know, it's still pretty early. So I guess we'll see what happens. But I would say uh, based on the first 18 games that we've seen that the Coyotes definitely are a, uh, a playoff contender out west. And unfortunately, I, I don't want to mention this, but uh, we talked about it on the show weeks ago, how Buff- the Buffalo Sabres won 10 games in November last year and missed the playoffs, and they're already falling out of a playoff spot after their hot start. So it is early on, but like you said, the division is just complete bonkers. We thought that was how it was going to be in the Metro, but it seems like the Metro's already figured itself out. 
The Pacific Division, at least last year, it felt, despite the top three, it seemed like nobody wanted to be that final, that second wildcard spot, even though the Coyotes were like the only team that looked like they were trying to get there. And if they can really put it together, I agree with you, Lewis. I think if they can hold on and continue to play this way, Kemper can stand out in goal, Ranta can fill in when necessary, and the defense holds their other offense at bay, they could be a playoff team and a, and a spooky team come playoff time because the way they play, they don't need to score a lot of goals. And in the playoffs, it doesn't matter how many you score as long as you score enough. And that's what the Coyotes have been doing so far this season. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, scoring enough. That's what they've, they've done all season. That's how they've had success in the past, especially 2012, is, is to score just enough and, and rely on that goaltending and defense. Um, I think they're they're set up for success again this year if they can just maybe get in the playoffs, maybe that maybe stay out of the wild cards so they can avoid you know maybe the Blues or the the Oilers in the first round, you know, get into one of those Pacific Division spots, and you never know. You know, Colorado beat the Flames in what five games last year as as the eight seed. So Kale McCarr, really Kale McCarr, just him. absolutely, yep, just get in, and you know you never know what happens. Uh, you know, we've we've seen it enough times like a team get, just barely makes the playoffs and. They go on to, to either make the Stanley Cup final or, or actually win the Stanley Cup outright. So um, just get in and see what happens. I think the Coyotes will, will definitely get in this year if they can stay healthy, which was a problem last year, and uh, just keep playing a consistent defensive hockey and, and get the goaltending. Well, Lewis, once again, we thank you for coming on here, taking the time to talk about the little Coyotes with us, folks. Once again, you can follow Lewis Pannone at on Twitter at Lewis Pannone, and also be sure to get on the Hockey Writers and follow his content with the Coyotes and of course all the lovely writers we have with the hockey writers, all the great, all the teams being covered well and in depth. Lewis being one of them. Lewis, thanks again. We'll talk. Hopefully we talk in the springtime talking about the Coyotes, maybe in the playoffs, knock on wood. Absolutely. Here's hoping. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Lewis. All right. Sounds good. And once again, that was Lewis Pannone joining us here on the Kiel Podcast, much thanks to the Sun Devil, former Sun Devil, Arizona State alum. And you you got to be interested to see how the Coyotes do this season. I know we, we do knock them a little bit here sometimes on the show, but they have done a lot better. And that hockey team is a dangerous hockey club. They are currently right ahead of the Vancouver Canucks in the Pacific Division, in a division that you thought maybe Vegas would dominate. Maybe you'd see this. Maybe you see that. But as we've seen before, it never happens that way. I mean, are we going to ignore the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights are actually, excuse me, they're actually tied right now with the Vancouver Canucks with 21 points. And despite the Ducks, the Anaheim Ducks, that is, their incredible start to the season, they're now 19 points, and they're currently a grand total of two points out of a playoff spot. But obviously, like we said, it's way too early to be talking about playoff spots. However, we will talk about one team that is well out of a playoff spot right now, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yes, folks, it's that time of the show. We're going to talk about suspensions. Yay! Nick Foligno, three-game suspension for absolutely braining Pierre-Edouard Belmare the other night in the game between the Blue Jackets and the Avalanche. Let's talk about this hit a little bit, shall we? It's just I've been trying to figure out what I want to say about this hit all day because it's obviously a dirty hit. Felino leaves his feet and he catches Belmare. 
And he catches them so off and so, I don't want to say unclean, but you watch it and you almost think he misses Belmare. But then you watch it back and yes, you see the fact that he does catch him. He gets him high. He gets him underneath the chin. And, you know, I've been trying to look up some research here to try to figure out what suspensions he has received. And he... I'm trying to look through all of his history. He's obviously had some really... I mean, he's a physical player. Let's not, you know, sugarcoat that at all. Felino is a physical guy. He's one that's willing to go in the corners, and he can still put the puck in there from time to time to time. And unlike his father, Mike Felino, but I never really saw him as a guy that would do such a weird hit. It's, it's just such an unusual play. Belmare's coming up the ice, and next thing you know, he just catches him high. It's it just, it's the weirdest hit. I don't say the weirdest hit, but the way he comes across, and it, it, you see Felino, you see his elbow come up right away. There is no question about it. And the reason why he goes soaring is because he actually hits Belmare's feet which makes it look more egregious. And that's why I think people think it should have been more. But you could see Felino's elbow come up, which is immediate. And for some reason, the only... <laughs> the unfortunate thing I, I see about this hit is that Felino, when he flies... If you guys don't remember playing NHL 2000 or 2001, if you ever tried to go for a big hit, don't forget, you could literally just crush a guy in the face in NHL 2000. With the graphics they were, you could do that and get away with it. If you held the hit button long enough, your guy would literally dive at another player for a big hit. And what I'm seeing with this hit, I'm watching it back in slow motion right now as, we, as I'm going through this here. You see that Felino's almost expecting Belmare to continue to come across the middle. But he tries to cut inside the last second when he dumps the puck into the zone. And that's why I think Felino doesn't get solid body contact. That said, yes, you see the arm immediately. You see the elbow. You see it, and there's no question. Now, yes, Avalanche fans are crying for more than three games, and they should. Belmare is going to be, I mean, he, I believe he's out for an extended period of time. It is a dirty play. It is one that knocked out Belmare. And he obviously has been diagnosed with a concussion because, duh, you saw how he went down. There's no question about it. And so, I, I don't know, guys. I, I've always said it, and of course, Alex and I last week went toe-to-toe on it on the Lucic incident. The NHL player safety needs to figure it out. And obviously, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, and please, use the hashtag the Kill Podcast and tweet me and tell me I am wrong if... Nick Foligno has had more, has hatched, does have a history, because I'm not finding anything, and I can't recall anything. So I'm trying to figure out where the line is drawn with this hit. I don't see a reason to spend him more than 10 games, because if he's not a repeat offender, it doesn't matter. I don't see if the fact that, I mean, if, I guess they are looking at the fact of what I just said. They, he expected Belmare to come across the middle. That's why he cuts in front of him like that. Belmare tries to cut inside. That's where, the, that's where he gets hit. But yes, the elbow is up. That is the big point of this, of this suspension, is that he does get him in the head with an elbow. And 
I'm not trying to say the player safety is trying to set the bar low. I'm not trying to say that at all. I, I want to see, I guess, more consistency, but it's literally a incident-by-incident incident basis of these decisions that the player safety along, that starts with George Peros and goes its way down. That's how they've been making their decisions. I want there to be more consistency, but I know it won't happen because you know, want to know why? Human error. Judgment, it's a it's a judgment call. Why did they create the one singular replay system from Toronto? Because they can get the same set of eyes on every play. It's the only judgment of those people. But when you see something and you so for example, going to the situation room in Toronto, they see they see a goal, they see that play. They call a goal back because of he bumped into the goaltender this way or this kind of play happened. The next time there's a review, they have to look back. They look back at the one that just happened and said, well, if we do that, we can't call that. We can't change our call on this one if this was the case for the last one. So that's where I think the player safety comes in. I don't remember off the top of my head what the last suspension for a head hit was, but it's a good call to suspend him. No question about that. There, obviously, it was going to happen. The way Belmare was hit. But at what point do you bump up the severity of the hits in order to try to get the hit out of the game? It's a hit that you don't want to see. You never want to see a hit like that. And I don't understand I, I wanna I don't understand why they continue to allow this to happen. Because obviously, like we said, if Tom Wilson throws another head check, what's the penalty going to be? 25 games? No, that would be with the escalation of his suspensions, they wouldn't be able to pull it off. It'd have to be 40 games, 45 games, 50 games. It'd have to keep going up like that. It'd have to go up at a bigger rate if you want it to stop. Same thing with Lucic. Now, yes, the Lucic scenario is a little hazy. We, we went about that last week. We don't need to revisit that. But I want to see stiffer penalties for head checks because we've seen it. We've seen the after effects, the long-term effects of these hits. Keith Primo will never be the same ever again. He's been one of the biggest proponents of better, of better concussion testing and better player safety than the NHL player safety department. Yeah, does that, does that sound harsh? I hope it does. I really hope it does. I hope that gives... Put a little, put a little coal in your stocking, I guess, because that's true. Someone's gonna have to. I mean, what are you gonna have to do? The players police themselves and fight again? I mean, as much as much as you'd like to see that, and much like to maybe it limit the hitting. Guess what? It's not. Like I said, I watch Rock'em Sock'em. There was fighting all the time back in the eighties and nineties. Let me tell you, headshots, elbows, glorified back then. Somebody has to step in and start doing more. And it starts with the player safety, and right now they are doing a horrible job at it. And on that, let's move on. This past Saturday morning, morning skate at the Van Andel Arena. Grand Rapids Griffins taking on the Toronto Marlies for the second of a back-to-back in GR. I was able to get a good word with play-by-play broadcaster of the Toronto Marlies, Todd Crocker, and I hinted at it earlier why this was an interesting interview. And not just because of the fact that I was, first of all, face-to-face with the Marley's broadcaster, Mr. Crocker, who has 
been with the team now since 2013. It's, it was an interesting interview because one of the questions I ask is about who he thinks the next Marley will be called up. That has not played in the NHL yet. Pontus Aberg right now is tearing up with the Marlies. He's one of their big guns right now. And, of course, Nick Patan getting called up. But I asked him about it, and his answer, based on pure curiosity, was Casimir Kaskiswo. And, hello, Michael Hutchinson gets sent down by waivers. And I'll get a little bit more into that after the interview. But now we're going to go back to Saturday morning, around 10 o'clock, morning skate. You'll hear it in the background. It was the Griffins around the ice while we were talking. We were at, I, I, we're at ice level, which kind of made it look cool, gave a little ambiance to the interview. Let's go back to that interview here right now. To infinity and beyond. We're live here at the Van Andel Arena. I am joined now by the voice of the Toronto Marlies play-by-play broadcaster, Todd Crocker. Crocker, a former Hamilton Bulldogs play-by-play back when in the AHL. And little-known fact, former director of operations of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yes. Yeah. That is an interesting little tidbit on your resume there that nobody really knows about. And you took over in a time when the Tiger Cats were not really a profitable team. <laughs> no, uh, profitable, far from it. In fact, uh, there were, uh, at time, first of all, there were about 1,700 season ticket holders at the time. And uh, then myself, Neil Lumsden, Norm Miller, Don Edwards, uh, Matt Moreland, uh, Paul Anderchuk, there's only about six or seven of us that actually were running the football team at the time. And, uh, and so we were able to, the CFL put us under a deadline to say, look, you either sell 10,000 season tickets by December, I think it was 15th, uh, or we're closing down the franchise. And they gave Ottawa the same ultimatum. And we took uh, we took the Tiger Cats from 1,700 season ticket holders to 17,000. Uh, the team remains there, largely the work of those people did. And, and I uh, I counted it as really a highlight of my, my sports life because my grandfather played for the Tigers. How about that really? for a little known fact? And... Uh, and he, uh, so, you know, we, we have a long time history in Hamilton. And so I was proud to make sure that that team stuck around and still survives to this day. And they're still one of the most, I mean, they even sell out more than the Argonauts do now. And you yeah. could not have said that back in the mid 90s. No, 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 you couldn't. And, uh, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll find a way to, to eventually win a great cup, I hope, and, uh, do the city proud again. And not that they haven't uh, done that at the moment, but it's been, uh, I, I'm a I'm still a big fan um, of the team and and I really just uh, it's really when I look back on it, it seems so long ago but but uh, really just fresh I still see all those guys it's like we we went through something special together even though we didn't win a championship together uh, but it it felt pretty great like we did well, that's always awesome here do you have a pick right now in the playoffs who do you think's gonna who do you think's gonna take the great cup this yeah, year the Tiger Cats there's no <laughs> there's no <laughs> there is no other pick. Right. You know, there is only that. I mean, they, I must say that it's the longest drought, I think, in the East Division right now. Yeah, well, and the other thing is they've never won this many games in a, in a season before. So that uh, that bodes well for them. And, and I, you know, I, I think when you, in the CFL, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of look at it like, oh, three teams out of four get in and all that kind of stuff. And But in the CFL, once you hit the playoffs, you got to, it's all even again. Exactly. So, Exactly. And of course, in typical Keel podcast fashion, we don't start with hockey, but let's get to it now. <laughs> let's get to the Marlies here. Marlies, they dropped the game last night against Grand Rapids. By the way, the Marlies for the first, how many years has it been since you guys have been here? 
Uh, it's been four, three years, uh, and uh, that was uh, the year that uh, the Marlies had a good year that year. They, they swept Grand Rapids that year uh, in four games that they played, and uh, that was unusual because that just these two teams are, are so competitive with each other uh, for a variety of reasons, you know, either playoff appearances or uh, just the original six connection up top, or I'm not exactly sure, but both teams enjoy the style of play. Both teams, the organizations, are highly committed to development. Uh, the Marlies uh, years ago talked about following the Detroit model a little bit better uh, and, and trying to stick with the idea that guys have to be overripe and, yeah. and before they come to the NHL. And, and so uh, I think there's a real sense that both these teams are similar organizationally and on the ice. And you saw in a kind of an odd game last night. Grand Rapids power play took control of the game. But the Marlies, though, 7-2-2-1 in a four-way tie right now for the top spot in the North Division with teams like Cleveland, who is Columbus's farm club, Rochester, who is with Buffalo, and, of course, Laval with Montreal. 17 points isn't really towards the top of the league. So how do you think the Marlies have done in the first month or so of the season? Well, I think they've overachieved in the first month. Uh, I think they're a team that uh, has got by on on uh, a fair bit of individual effort. Uh, uh, different nights, different people have stepped in, and all of a sudden, you'll see uh, you'll see a, an incredible effort. I think they've got by on the skill of a guy like Pontus Aberg. Uh, I think that uh, people are just getting to know Igor Korshkov a little bit. So I, I think once you kind of the, you pull back the curtain on some guys, like you don't need to do that with Pontus Haber. You know who he is. You know uh, the kind of player he is, especially in the Western Conference. Uh, and so you don't have to have a, some sort of mystery date here. It's, it's like this is what you're getting. But Korshkov, new to the league, you're, you're finding out what's he like. Is he tough to play against in front of the net? Is he, is he a guy that is impossible to move? Or is he, is he easy to move? So... Uh, or what can you do to, to kind of gain the edge on him? So once that curtain gets pulled back after the first month of the season and you start to play some of the people that you play regularly, uh, I, I think you'll see it, you know, the, the whole plan evens out a little bit. And for Korshkov, I think he's, that was now, what, four first goals of the game? He's scoring the first goal. I think it's the fourth time he did it last yeah. night. And that's obviously a guy, I mean, the Leafs, they have an issue apparently starting on time, but he does not here with the Marlies. No, and, and I think that largely is, is due to the fact that uh, he, has, he has been put in a, uh, a situation where he can succeed. And, and I think, too, uh, he scored a number of power play goals, and, and I think Jeremy Bracco is one of the reasons of that. Uh, he had such great chemistry with Chris Mueller last year that uh, almost you would think all you need to do if you're Igor Korshkov is stand in front of the net, put your stick on the ice. And truly, it, that does have a feel for it with Brocco. He, he is able to find that guy. He found Mueller so many times. But you do have to be uh, forceful with uh, your stick. You do have to be a guy that's going to create presence out there. If it goes in off your leg or your head or your stick, who cares? You just got to be in position. We're getting the Michael Grabner good old butt goal sliding yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Of course, John Tavares does it all the time with Mitch Marner. So, I mean, and he's a pretty good player, I'd say, is JT. But you, you, you mentioned Pontus Aberg. And for a guy that spent the majority of last year with the Anaheim Ducks and kind of bounced around between Nashville and Milwaukee before that, he looks like a guy that really wants to get back in the NHL. 12 points in 12 games here. 
and he's been playing a, while, playing a lot with Pierre Engvall. Do you think that it's a mixture of both Aberg try, or Aberg trying to get back into the NHL or playing with Engvall, maybe a combination between the two? Well, I think they complement each other nicely. Uh, I think Engvall is uh, a guy who likes to shoot. Uh, I think Aberg is a guy who can find Engvall. Uh, and uh, Pierre's got a great stride when he skates, so he's oftentimes a little deceptive in his speed. He finds himself uh, in places where sometimes the defender doesn't think he's going to reach because he takes a couple of long strides. Suddenly, he's either by you or his stick is by you. That's probably more important uh, as part of it because he's a lanky guy. And Aberg, I think, has found a connection point because he's a guy who likes to play with a player who will find himself open. He can find the stick. Now... There is nobody here in the American Hockey League that uh, is not thinking in some way, shape, or form, I, I'll be useful at the NHL level. I, I can still do it. It doesn't matter if you're a vet. doesn't matter if you're raw rookie. None of that matters. What matters is for opportunity. And for Aberg, that's a little bit of what the situation is up top. Is that opportunity exist? Well, when it does happen... You better be the guy that they look at and say, well, that's the guy we want, not the guy that uh, has not put up the numbers, not done what they uh, can do at this level. Uh, I heard somebody the other day say something that he's a, he's a quad A player. He's, he's better than triple A. That's what they say in baseball. He's better than triple A, not quite major league baseball. And I, I don't agree with that. I, I don't like that, uh, that label because I think what often is missing there when people assess that, is opportunity at the right time in the right organization with the right player. And and suddenly you make that connection, it gets good, and you become an everyday player. And it's kind of unfortunate because last season he was playing on a Ducks team that really did struggle. I'm sure he's looking over there at them now and thinking, where was that last season? Yeah. But he's having a good year. And another guy that's starting off – all right, but he's kind of like an in-betweener right now. Like I don't want to say a quality player like you had mentioned, but Timothy Lilligren has been a guy that everyone's kept their eyes on in Leafs Nation because of him being a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. He seems like he's starting to get a little bit better as he progresses through the seasons, had a decent preseason. How do you see him so far this year? Well, I think Timothy Lilligren for fans or for just, uh, you know, somewhat average viewers that uh, would say, oh, you know, I get to a couple of games and I'm going to assess Timothy Lilligren and see what he's uh, all about. Uh, he's not the kind of guy that uh, defensively you would say to yourself or, or as a defenseman you'd say to yourself, wow, he stood out to me. Because, you know, fans don't often look at the things the way coaches look at things. And so when a coach sees Timothy Lilligren play, what, what a coach sees is a good, solid defenseman. He's hardly ever in a bad spot. Hardly ever is a mistake made because he didn't know. It's uh, If he's going to make a mistake, it's a mistake that you want to see him make on a, on a positive side where he's trying to do something instead of not trying to do something. Right. So uh, that's a distinction that, that uh, I think in the American Hockey League that a, that a lot of people don't you know, throw that into the mix very often. They'll often say, well, how many goals do you have? Well, then bring them up. You know, yeah. well, how, well, defensemen don't work like that. And, and it is really about playing within the system and making sure that, that you hit and check all the boxes and every player that comes your way. And, uh, and if you're going to uh, 
uh, if you're going to work a guy to the boards instead of just directing him to the board. So right. it, it's for him, I, I think he's a player that's much more highly rated than maybe fans would think uh, in the organization simply because, and I, you know, some people say he didn't have a great camp. I, I can't speak to that really, but I can say from watching him play over these dozen games uh, that th this is a player that uh, long-term uh, has, you know, has sticking power. And you talked, and of course, you want players, like you said, have them overripe. And there have been guys that have kind of sat for a long time. Justin Hall was one of them. Yeah. Now he's finally getting some good looks here. And you're, you made a good point about when player, when people look at stats. You can easily look at stats and say, wow, this defense is putting up 10 points in 10 games. That's outstanding. Well, okay, he's putting 10 points in 10 games, but then you see seven points on the power play. Well, yeah. And you do have to come to the games. That's why scouts get paid. Yep. loads of money because Absolutely. they go to the rinks and they watch the games and you know even fans here in Grand Rapids it's it's interesting to watch some of the wings players that come down and like you know let's watch him because then they actually see how you know if a guy's in a rehab stint they'll see him and just sit there like I remember one game when Chris Taylor was here many years ago people just stared at him and they said wow he is slow <laughs> and I'm like well yeah you're playing against a bunch of 21 year old kids one guy that it did but get effective but effective of course yeah. In that era, he could have played. I don't know if it would have worked today. But yeah. then again, sure. nobody says, Gordy, how would have been great today's game? Well, yeah. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But one player that did get sent down by the least was Rasmus Sandy. He's missed the last couple of games here. Your initial take on when he came back down, what was his mindset? Obviously, he kind of got put in an odd spot with the Maple Leafs. Wasn't quite fitting up to what Babcock liked, which is probably what brought him down here. How did he take the demotion? Uh, you know, oftentimes this is the very demotion that uh, can uh, derail a player for a long time. Uh, it's the first one, the first one where you get sent down. So you want to you want to make sure that if that happens, that the player understands why they're coming down and what might be happening. And so I think Kyle Dubas is probably uh, a, a great communicator that way. He let Rasmus know. This is what's happening. This is why what happened in the six games that you played. This is why we think your better development might, might be here. And for him, it's just about minutes. It, it's, not, it's not about his play and how he played there because he played well enough to be an NHL player. Is he, did he play well enough to be a dominant NHL player? No, but he needs more minutes to make that happen. He can't play 12 minutes a night and then expect to just kind of continue with development and move along in the process so that he becomes a great NHL player. He needs to come down here, and as the Wings fans know, uh, he needs to become overripe. He becomes so dominant in this league that it's undeniable. You, right. you, you can't keep him here anymore. It's, it's just not possible. And, and uh, he's, he's closer than people think he is. They, you, he gets dropped down after six games, and people are like, well, this happened and this happened, so that's why he got... That's not why he got sent down. Why he got sent down was 12 minutes a night is not serving Rasmus Sandin. And that's kind of why Andreas Janssen was down for so long, and even Kasperi Kapanen, when William Nylander and even Sashnikov were yeah. still up that first year they made the playoffs, Kapanen didn't join the team until the last couple months of the season. Same thing with Dermott last year. or And he... It's just you want to have players prepared and you don't want to have yeah. a guy that just fill in a fourth line spot because you can do that with almost anyone from the AHL have a guy go out there play five minutes get sent back down oh, a week sure. later 
you want to have guys that can jump right into like the top two role. That's why maybe a guy like Jeremy Bracco, who is very talented at this level, he's not going to find a spot in the top six right now with the amount of talent the Leafs have right now. No, and and you know I talk about Jeremy Bracco, and the only I say the only thing that uh, stops Jeremy Bracco is opportunity, and and that that opportunity with uh, the Leafs, and and this is an this is another side of it that oftentimes people for, forget or people don't kind of factor into the equation is how valuable are you to the organization, not just as a player that might play for the Leafs, but as a player that might play somewhere that allows the Leafs to get something in return, possibly. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Brocco, but what I am saying is Jeremy Brocco is a valuable piece in the organization. He continues to be a valuable piece in the organization. And there is only, there is only one thing for him when, you know, you see the amount of depth that the organization has at his position and what he might have to do to get to that next level to play in a top six, because that's where he'd be most valuable. Is uh, he's is a kind of a top six style of play. He's he's an elite passer at this level. He's probably an elite passer at the next level. But in order to prove that, and in order to get that opportunity, you you've got to look now in this organization at injuries. Or and you never want. It's not that you never want to see injuries. They're going to happen. But what you don't want to see is that's why you're there. Now. Right. That, that you stay there simply because someone else is injured. What you want to do is maybe if that opportunity presents itself, you want to get there and then you want them to have to make a choice on you and say, well, the other guy comes back, that's great. But what I think what we've seen out of, say, Jeremy Bracco is enough to say that's, that's something we want to hang on to. We want to make sure that, that he's a you know, part of the equation going forward. Uh, especially when you talk about cap era and all that kind of stuff, uh, which I don't get into much, but uh, it's not fun. You don't want you, no, it, it no, just makes and, you drive you nuts. I just find it. I, I just find it just sucks the joy out of my game. I, my I just people start talking about numbers. I'm never very good at it to begin with, and so I just kind of feel like the joy is on the ice, and I just right. enjoy that. That's why people try to focus on how Martin's been playing then the entire summer. Because let me tell you. We were going. We had. We were hashtag Marner watch very hard on this show. Yeah. Which made, oh, it made my brother and I just yell at each other, which was, which is a great makes people listen to us, I guess. <laughs> but I guess you know, kind of taking a dip back on players that aren't maybe producing as much. One guy that is kind of a feel good story for the Marlies was Matt Reed. He came in on a PTO. Yeah. He was a Calder Trophy candidate back when Philadelphia kind of fell out of favor here. How was he kind of taken on? this, I guess, maybe chip on his shoulder. I mean, he's only put up three points in so many games, but huh. a guy that had to work to get on this roster, that's kind of a guy you almost want on the team, right? Well, Matt Reed's still working to get on this roster, right? And, he's, and be a full-time player with the, the Marlies. It's, it, it is not, uh, this organization is a very difficult uh, place to play, especially in the way Sheldon Keefe uh, expects this team to play. Uh, this team this year has less speed than any team I've seen with the Marlies uh, in, in my time of, of watching uh, in the last six, seven, eight years. Uh, the team has always been about speed. It's always been about skill. This team is less so that, and it's more so, uh, you know, checking in, punching in the clock, and, and getting after it. It's going to have to be anyway to have success. Matt Reed is that kind of player, and so you, you certainly believe that his mindset fits this team and will fit this team going forward. 
uh, and and it will require that uh, one too many bets, you know, with the Marlies. So you got to always have somebody sitting. So you've got to work that into your plan. But Matt Reed is one of those players that you're just you just know that you know daily and game by game and shift by shift. He doesn't step out and kind of go, well, I don't, I don't know today. You know, I'm just going to get to it. He knows that his everyday spot in the lineup is on the line. And that's what almost drives players to do better. And with the speed kind of being in question, one guy that's in the junior ranks right now, one of the Leafs prospects, who unfortunately just got a broken finger, is Nicholas Robertson. And I want to get your take on this. A lot of people always wonder, you know, when you draft a player, why doesn't he go to the AHL? And why doesn't, you know, Nick Robertson, who's been tearing up with the Peterborough Peets up until this point, right. why isn't he, you know, in the Marlies lineup? Why isn't he playing the pro ranks to get ready for the NHL? Sure. Do you think the reason why that teams don't bring guys right up to the American League is because they want to develop them more? Is there not enough spots on the roster? What are your take on that? Well, I mean, you can't, you can't bring Nick Robertson here yet. Uh, you know, the rules don't allow it. But, uh, but uh, what I will say is uh, this, is, this is a tough league. If you're not ready uh, physically, uh, not saying Nick Robertson isn't, uh, but he's not eligible to be here. But if you're, not, if you're not ready physically for this, if you're not – if you haven't grown into your paws – you know, a little yeah. bit to talk about puppies. And, you know, sometimes you look at a puppy, and they got these massive paws and they just need a body to go along with it. And then sure enough, a year later, you're spending a thousand bucks in dog food. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I would say this, uh, Nick Robertson is unbelievably talented. I saw things from him at, uh, in the camps that they've had that uh, have been impressive, really impressive. And, and 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 one and the other thing is he he's he's one of those guys that you know immediately you just think it's a likable guy you know so you're for him you yeah. know it's, it's, he's not some mystery guy that is you know hiding in the corner he's he's effervescent so you know you just think that's a guy you can cheer for and I think the fans in Peterborough certainly know that and uh, I, I would think you know when people talk about you know why why would you send a guy back to junior. Usually, it's to grow into his paws, become physically a man, and 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 work out, and become a guy who can take the punishment of this league, uh, and then and, and eventually the next league because the punishment doesn't get easier, uh, of of a of a seventy six game and then an eighty four game schedule. Or, you know, like you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to last, not just and especially in these organizations, uh, you've got to be able to last not just the regular season but into the very tough postseason. Yeah, and those are very, very intense playoffs here. Of course, we saw some pretty good, like I said, the four-game sweeps and the battles the Griffins and Marlies used to have yeah. back in the day when they were in the same division, which for me as a Leafs fan, it was great because I got to see you guys at least a few yeah. times a year. But looking back at this Marlies roster, you have guys like Bracco, Korshkov, and Aberg. Who do you see, actually not Aberg because he already played in the NHL, but who do you see as a guy that has not been yet called up to the Leafs on this roster right now, who would you say would be your first pick to be the guy that gets called up to the NHL? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question because uh, so, much, so many times you find yourself uh, uh, having too much information. Uh, and what I mean by that, so a fan response, 
to that might be, well, I like to see Jeremy Bracco called up, you know, because score or he score hey, has points. He's a great passer. I just like to see what he, he could do. I, I think I think he should be the next call up. Or you know what? I want to see what Timothy Lilligren can do because he's number one pick. He plays sound defense. He's he's a guy who has offense in his game, but hasn't necessarily exposed it fully here in the American Hockey League. Uh, I want to see him called. Oh well, wait a minute. Now I want to see what Casimir Kaskasuo can do. And that who's probably had the more backup sits even before Anton Bebos finally absolutely. got a game. He dresses yeah. backup. It's I'm pretty sure his yeah. sweater doesn't have a puck mark on it. And so for me, because oftentimes we forget about the goaltenders. Sorry. And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> a, it's okay. Goaltender unit don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The uh I the uh I I would like to see I would just like to see what he does in an NHL game and just how the speed affects just what he does. And, and, um, I, I just think he's got a, a neat approach to how he prepares. I think he's got a neat approach to the game. Uh, I don't think much rattles him. Uh, and I, and I would just like to see how that translates at the NHL level. That's the curious in me. Uh, and, uh, and the fan in me would, would pick all sorts of different guys. You know, I'm curious to see when Mason Marchment returns. I, I'd just be interested to see where where does he fit? I just right. keep asking myself that question. And what what does he what would he bring to yeah. that team? And then uh, you know, you see a guy who's a complete, I think, complete two hundred foot player at this level and Adam Brooks and and you know, nobody's putting Adam Brooks on that list, you know, because there's so many guys that you'd be, oh, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? I just think that I, I'm just always curious about guys because who sometimes are okay at this level. Yeah. And they get to the next level because they get a chance and they never come back. Right. And, and I'm, I'm always more curious about what happens to those guys than I am any, any, anybody else. And those are really interesting because – I, and this could be me being kind of blind eye, but it never seemed like Freddie Gauthier was a dominant player. I mean, he was physically huge. It's a great choice, but it, but it ended up, now it's working out. Now, obviously, no. That's a gr- that's a great example of what I just said. It, it, Freddie was was uh, moving along, and had had Freddie not been exposed to the player development of the Toronto Marlies, which is considerable, to work on his skating, to work on his presence, to work on being a big man without being physically intimidating as far as uh, a fight or anything like that is concerned. Right. Freddie learned how to play big without being that guy. And, right. And Almost to, fought Tom Wilson, though. Almost. Yeah, yeah, no, true, true. But he owns his space. And, and I think for me, for Frederick Goche, who's one of the stronger guys I've, I've ever seen, uh, you know, in comparison to, you know, a lot of people have gone through. Freddie's got real strength in him. Um, not just gym strength. Freddie's got real, you know, woodcutting strength to him. So, uh, I, I really, I think that's a great example of exactly what I'm saying. You know, Frederick Goche went through. He got better. He got better. He, when he's number one pick, everybody had him on their radar. Oh, Freddie the Goat's got to be in. Freddie the Goat's got to be in. And then he goes through, gets some disappointments, finds this is what he has to do. They work on it. He does get better. And the number one thing they teach him is how to be a big man without being that 
that guy who has to get in a fight every time he's, he hits somebody. And that's obviously not the Leafs game. They don't really have many guys that are physical. I'm pretty sure the last guy they had was a fighter was Matt Martin, and yeah. that didn't work out here. So before I let you go here, Todd, a couple of quick hits questions here. You've obviously been around most of the have you? Are there any rinks in the AHL that you have not been to yet? Well, the ones out west uh, I haven't been to. Uh, you know, Tucson and uh, and anything in the beach division, I have not. Because uh, about to say, yeah, since because that they came in after the Marlies moved to the east. And, yes, right. And, and what a lot of people is misconception is, even though people play, you know, you know NHL on EA Sports, and they'll think, oh, you play every team twice, like the NHL. No, no, you, no. it's it's like the olden days where you play maybe a couple teams in the opposite division, up at opposite conference once. Yeah. But you're playing like Laval, Cleveland, eight times a year. Yeah, and you have to want to do it as an organization. Like the Marlies have to want to play the Western Conference teams in the Central Division. They, they they have to want to do it. Right. So you have to go to the league and say, yeah, we want to play Texas. We want to play San Antonio. We want to play Grand Rapids, Rockford. We want to play these teams. Yeah. We, we and and that's important to the development of the players because. They're getting exposed to different systems, different coaches, different players, diff- just different. And, right. and if you continue to play the same teams, 24, two, two, two teams 24 times, and you end up making the playoffs, as the Marlies did when they're Calder Cup year, they, they just ate lunch in Belleville and Laval every single time. Yeah. And, and uh, you are unsure going into the playoffs just how good you really are. And that's why the Texas series was such an interesting series because nobody really knew what to expect, and we learned a lot about the Stars then. Yeah. Nobody knew who Mike McKenna was, and all of a sudden, here's forcing Game 7 against the best team in the AHL. Exactly, exactly. But quick questions about these here. Which city, you and I talked about how Grand Rapids is a nice city to come visit. Which city is the best to visit? Wow. You don't, you don't have to say Grand Rapids. You don't have to make us feel No, good but I, I, I really do like Grand Rapids. It is, uh, one, there's some... There's some things that you check off uh, immediately. One, the hotel cro- close to the rink. Yes, it is. I, I like being able to walk to the rink in the morning uh, and and like to be able to just walk instead of taking the bus, having to go to the rink that way. So there's that. Is where you're staying, does it have a lot of different places to go, you know, get something to eat or, or do something or, you know, catch a, go to a museum or, you know, if you got a couple hours, you just got something to do. Yeah. Grand Rapids has that too, right? It's got yeah. all the great little restaurants in the downtown and, and, uh, and it's got some, you know, if you got an off day, you can occupy yourself quite easily in Grand Rapids uh, with the sculpture garden and the playoffs. We went up there and uh, back in whatever year that was. And then uh, uh, 14, 15 and, and, uh, you know, the Gerald Ford Museum. And these sound like things, you know, does anybody really get involved in these things? Yeah. They really do because, you, you know, when you end up in a place that doesn't have anything, uh, then, you know, you, you your off time is just hotel. And, right. And that's just, it's just. Gets a little boring after a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Having said that, one of the most important things uh, when you go somewhere is just the passion of the fans. And a place like Utica, with their passionate fans, and Syracuse, which can be a frustrating building to call a game from because the the perch is just interesting. Uh, I would say that uh, when you go into a building that has passionate fans, it doesn't all of a sudden everything else fades away, and and it's really really neat to kind of find a, a place like that. You go to a Chicago yeah. where, the, where the fans are passionate, the building's kind of got a neat feel to it, and 
And uh, although you're out in Chicago, you're out in Rosemont, so yeah. it's, uh, it, it's a little bit of a different thing there. Uh, yeah, I, and San Antonio, of course, but you got to take yeah. the bus to the rink. Yeah. And then, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's some great places. Uh, and, and Grand Rapids, I would say, uh, it, you know, is right up there, uh, uh, you know, along with you know, Providence is, is a good place. It, yeah. you, know, you can walk to the rink. It's a neat town. You know, it's, they call it the prettiest little small town in America or medium town. I don't know, whatever it is, it's a nice town. And, uh, and so it's got a good feel to it. Uh, you know, it's way better than rolling into a town. It's nothing but strip malls and and big box stores and right. than the rink exactly, and so you talked about the Syracuse perch maybe a little like you said interesting. Which arena that you've called games in, which has the best view in the American League? Well, slightly biased. This is going to be slightly biased, but I've called games uh, in Toronto before I was in Toronto. So right. uh, I think uh, the Coca Cola Coliseum. I, I I love the perch because it's almost you know right over the ice it's close you can feel the speed of the game in front of you you can easily find the players and you're not so low that you can't or so far back that you can't identify play and and that's one of the things that oftentimes you come to some of the rinks uh in the u.s uh one of the things is that they they weren't built for hockey they were built for multi-purpose or they were right. built for basketball really yeah like the barclays center <laughs> yeah and so all of a sudden you know you're way back here and and i don't understand that personally because i think basketball would be better served with people right on top of it but yeah um yeah i just I, I just to me i just uh i love uh i loved calling games at rico when it was rico and I and I still like that uh, I still like that call right there, uh, and I like that kind of building. Hershey has uh, a little bit of that feel too. It's always nice to have your own spot, right? You know that you you can kind of claim as your own and not feel like uh, you know somebody you reach over scowling at you. Exactly. You know, although that has a bit of a, a charm to it as well. So yeah, I've had that issue before. Like so for all of us for the club hockey fans we had central michigan's guy come down and oakland will do the same thing so we're like right next to each other so if yeah. one of our guys gets if we get riled up on our broadcast they can hear it and then yeah. if they get riled up they can hear it hershey if, used to have the bur- best perch in the old hershey park everybody hated it but everybody loved it like you had to go through a row of fans to oh, yeah. sit in what was most of the time a lighting area you know, where they would put a spotlight. Right. And it, it could be no bigger than two seats across. Jeez. And and you the four or five fans that you had to walk through always helped you. They were always like, hey, you know, you so-and-so's this. this. And they'd hand you little notes and things like that. All right. I love those people. They were they were fantastic. And and that that is the most memorable place to call a game. The, the intimacy is kind of lost in some rinks because you are so far away from the fans. So, yeah. You know, you kind of get an appreciation in some of the junior rinks as well, like how close you are. Oh, yeah. People can reach up and, you know, tap you on the desk and say, hey, you missed up this guy's name or something like that for the road games. Now, for my sake, because I am a bit of a food freak, which rink has the best food? Wow. So I used to do a show when I was with the Bulldogs uh, called Road Food. Yep. And we would, myself and the two trainers would, uh, back in the day when you had only two, uh, we would do a segment in the intermission where we would rate the food not only in the rink, but uh, where we would where we would go. We right. would say, "Oh, we go to this restaurant." We were we weren't exactly ahead of our time necessarily. No, although I like to think we were. 
Uh, <laughs> but we were, we uh, we talked about it in terms of, you know, what's the best goopy gravy and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. But the hot dogs in Laval uh, are probably the most unique because they, you know, people talk about them in Montreal. like the, Yeah, yeah. The Why, how is that like a big thing? Like, I, I think, don't know. I mean, we have Yesterdog here in town. Of course, no more than a boiled hot dog smothered in chili and stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah. But what makes them like just so ridiculously good or just like what they're made with uh toasted bun i guess uh, split at the top uh i i, I don't know i i i think i i think the uh the mystery's off of it for me i was a early part of my career i couldn't get enough of them and uh, then it was like now i kind of feel like i think i got conned here i i'm not i'm not 100 sure but the as far as uh, in the rink uh, as far as the food in the rink is concerned all you're looking for is somebody's got to have a signature thing right. in the rink. And uh, we talk about the Tiger Cats when I was with the Tiger Cats. I wanted to find a signature Hamilton item that we could put on the menu that people would come and they'd be like, I got to go to the Tiger Cat game because I got to have this and I got to yeah. go. This is this is part of the experience. Right. And so when you, when you go to a rink, all you're really, all the question I have ever for one of the fans is, what do I got to have if I can only have one thing? And uh, and so that's, you know, here, uh, you know, everybody says, oh, you got to have the hot dog. You know, the hot dog here is 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 one of the better ones. And it, I had one last night, and it's a pretty good hot dog. Part of the $2 dog deal here. Missed out on that one, unfortunately, because I was, <laughs> as you call my own games. It's because it's, we had something over here with the West Michigan Whitecaps. It's called the Fifth Third Burger. It was I swear to goodness, it was almost as big as the table we're doing this interview at. Really? It was humongous. And there used to be a challenge. You have to do it from the seventh inning stretch the rest of the game and try to eat it before the game ends. Oh, my goodness. It got national recognition. They retired it, which is kind of a bummer because I always wanted to see if I could do it by myself. But thank goodness. But, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd like to see more of that in some rinks. Obviously, yeah. some people are just like, here, let's just get food for people, get the popcorn or whatever. Yeah, like 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 – one of the things uh, in Charlotte is uh, at the Bojangles is they have Bojangles chicken at the at the Charlotte rink and oh, man. and to me that seems like who goes there and eats anything else you're you're at the Bojangles Coliseum why would you go get a hamburger like when, yeah get chicken this has got to be the place where the chicken is the best it's got to be like you know if, you, if I'm trying to think of any team out in Kentucky but I don't think there's any pro team out there now but if there was one you think they'd have to have a KFC bar or something like that oh. oh. Without question, right? I was disappointed when the Kentucky Thoroughblades were there and the Louisville Panthers. You go in, you couldn't get anything from the Colonel. Nothing. Really? You know? Well, some some people say, like, oh, yeah, I went to a KFC in Kentucky. It was awful. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. No, but, not at all. Corbin, Kentucky, that's where he, that's where it all came came about. And I remember as a kid, we went there. We actually went there, like, oh, really? purposefully. Just to, just yeah, to go. Just to we were it. driving by, and it's like, oh, no. We're going to stop at Corbin, Kentucky and go get a, something from the original. It wasn't that good. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it's just like maybe they just forgot. It got kind of misconstrued. That, yeah, that they had the right. 10 herbs and spices. They didn't get the 11th. I don't know. Oh, uh, that's that, it's that game changer right there, that one last <laughs> little bit. It's the MSG. That's the game changer. But, well, I mean, we, I'm trying to think if there's any real big thing here in Grand Rapids. And I've been in a couple barns. Like Kalamazoo, they're one of those rinks that likes to have, like, the, the roasted almonds. Oh. And those are for me. I don't know what it is, but like they had those in Muskegon as well. And they are just for some reason they get me every time. Really? I really. And it's the worst part is it's because when I wrote for the ECHL last year, I would walk 
He'd walk into the main entrance and it'd be right there. Oh, so you had to walk by it. it. Can't pass by. Oh my goodness. And I'd be sitting there. I'm like, I, here's my cash. Just like, not even like without a doubt. Like I wasn't even looking at them. Like here's money. Give me the almonds. I Let's know. Go. I know. I, I love those kinds of rinks though, that, that have, uh, you know, the, the beef on weck or the, uh, you know, whatever it happens to be that all of a sudden you're just like, I've never heard of this before. I'm having it, you know? It's, it's always an interesting experience. But, of course, that's the charm of minor league hockey. You know, you, oh, go yeah. to, you go to NHL barns, and obviously each rink will look different. Actually, take us back, take us back to that. It's last year in February, you yeah. got your call-up. Yeah. And you've seen a lot of guys get call-up to the NHL players, sure. that is. Could you compare your call-up to maybe a call-up as a player? Um. Because the story, I've, I've heard the story. It's pretty interesting on how it all went down. Yeah. Um. Can I compare it? I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I, uh, I think these guys are single, uh, singularly focused on it, and and I wouldn't say I've spent my whole life singularly focused on it. And and really, at this point in my life, I had kind of said, well, it's not going to happen. So, so it ha- so be it. It's not the worst thing in the world to uh, not have gotten that opportunity because uh, I think there are enough folks that uh, kind of appreciate what I do with the Marlies and, and the Marlies are an exceptional organization to work for. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't really think one way or another about it. It hadn't even entered my mind that there was an option for that because quite honestly in Toronto, there are about 400 guys that would, you know, chew through my ankles just to get a chance to be in the room. Uh, so right. uh, I didn't necessarily think I was the next choice uh, at all. There was always somebody who could, step in and go, wow, we're out here in Colorado. We'll just get Take so-and-so, you know. Yeah, get the guy from Denver University or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or, or, you know, somebody who's not working uh, for the Marlies here. at the, You know, they, there just are tons of people. Right. And so I was really grateful to Kyle Dubas and Brad Lynn with uh, the Leafs to think of me in the first place. So that, was, uh, that was terrific. And Aaron LaFontaine, who runs Leafs TV or was running Leafs TV at the time, and, and just the – the phone call from him and and Brad and and just uh, it, it became such a whirlwind. It was incredible. So as far as the actual physical experience, I think I could compare it. Yeah. I, I, you know, the getting on a plane, being there for game time, twenty minutes ahead of time, uh, just just psyched beyond belief. Uh, just uh, nervous in one sense, not nervous to call the game, but unsure of what was happening next and. Uh, in the AHL, you always bring your own gear and you set it up. And I got there and all the gear was set up. And at the end of the game, I, I said to the guy, well, what do I take this now? And he's like, no, this is ours. You, Welcome to the NHL, you right? Just, you just show up. You don't, you don't have to do anything. I was like, oh, well, well, I didn't know that. So I'm sure Bonesy 30 years ago had to do that. I'm sure he had to set up his own stuff. But now he's around. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll give you the Joe Bowen treatment here tonight. Things have changed. So I, I you know, but the one thing I will say is that uh, – that I cannot, it doesn't compare to a player. I don't think a player goes up and thinks they're coming back. Right. Uh, and, and I knew I was coming back, and I, and I knew that, uh, and the other thing I know is Joe's got a lot of games still to call. So, oh, yeah. I, you know, in my, in my world, uh, you know, that was a great experience. And if it never happens again, it never happens again. That's, uh, that's okay, too, because, as I say, this is such a terrific organization to work for that, uh, you know, I... It's a good place to be, and and sometimes we overlook that. I think when we 
when we strive to just be at the top level or be where, you know, wherever you can be and you sacrifice some of the good people that you work with and the good environment that you work with. And you say, well, I'm just going to go here just to chase the, the dream. And when I was a filmmaker, one of the things that, uh, I went to, uh, uh, film festival with one of my films and, and one of the guys said to me he says well you know don't you want to see this hit the big screen and I said no I, I just want to see it done like I just yeah. want to see it and see somebody watch it and say well that was good I'm good with that I've, I'm good with people seeing it I, I don't I don't need to dictate how they see it or or you know the mood they're in when they see it but I, I would like them to see it and, right. and that's you know that's not you know, in that world, that's not like getting the NHL. That's like saying, I just want to be decent at what I do. And and that's, so that's really what drives me. It just, I want to be good for the people that have faith that I can be good. And you just want to be at least, you know, a little recognized. Hey, Todd, good call there. Good, 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 good call. Good, good, good job. Now go <laughs> get on the bus. Yeah, go get on the bus with everyone else and all the smelly gear and such. I mean, that is kind of the unique experience, too, is that you are traveling with the team. Yeah, you, that, you, that's a wonderful thing, too. Lots of people... Uh, throw that into the uh, the heap and say, well, that must be okay. I said, to me, it's everything. I, I like knowing the guys. And at the NHL level, you know, obviously I knew a lot of the guys on the Leafs because they've been here. Uh, but I, I just, I just like it. I like knowing the players. I like being invested in their emotional journey. I, I like being on the journey with the team uh, and and trying to get to that final step. I. I I didn't realize quite how competitive uh, I was because I don't find that I am very competitive, but how much I was invested in the competition of the pl- these players and this coaching staff and this organization until they won the Calder Cup. And, and you know, two weeks later, I was just like, I, I can't believe it. I'm so happy for these people and, and what they achieved and what they did. And and just I basked in that glow. I'm, I might still be basking. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell in this light, but you know, it, it's so. And it, it was an experience because the team had, you know, they made it to 2012, and they had good teams from then on. It just it seemed, seemed like they could get it done. And all of a sudden, they're there, and yeah, Game Six happened, and then everyone's like, Game Seven was like a huge deal. I, I was that. A, I think I don't. That could that game was almost national. What I almost heard was that it was pretty yeah. close being broadcasted. Yeah, it as was a big national. game, and yeah. it was, it was just a huge deal. And I remember listening to the open with Paul Paul Hendrick going, you know, it hadn't you know been six, you know, fifty one years since a pro hockey team in Toronto won a championship, and I think that's what made it such a big deal is that yeah. the city had not won in some time, and now yes, you know, every, you know the hopes are still riding with this team they have now with the Leafs, but it all started like you said with the Marlies with yeah. Janssen and. Granted, Hyman wasn't there, but he was a big part of helping oh, out this team. You know what? That's the one thing I will say about that team is, um, yeah, they weren't. Those guys weren't there. Willie wasn't there, Cappy and all, all those guys. And, you know, but that doesn't mean they didn't contribute because the narrative is a long narrative. And it starts when, really, I think it starts when Dallas Agins takes that team to the final against Norfolk. And then I think from there, the Marlies have played more playoff games than anybody else. In fact, there's only one team that's played as many games as the Marlies have won in the playoffs in that eight years, and that's Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids has played more playoff games than the Marlies have won playoff games, but that's the only team. Right. So that kind of success breeds success, and people expect it. And when you are playing on a level of expectation of championship every season – 
Um, Zach Hyman deserves credit. Uh, All all those guys deserve credit that that went up because they added to the narrative. They added to, you know, filling the filling the water jug one glass at a time, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until it got to the top. And eventually, that's where the Marlies go, and they're going to continue here tonight, game two of the weekend. Kaskasuo starting tonight, I take it, because we'll play oh, last night. Oh, I would night. think so, yeah. Well, I'm excited because I'm going to be here. I'm going to try to sit right there, so I'll get to see Kaskasuo twice. So I'll be able to give my good critique on him. Terrific. Because even though we only ever seen him in warm-ups in a couple games, I think I saw a couple games on uh, the on NHL.TV earlier this year. Well, he's been real good. He's been real good. It'll be a fun one to watch tonight. Todd, I appreciate you taking the time here. Of course, Absolutely. You guys, you guys can follow Todd Crocker on Twitter, at Todd Crocker. And, of course, you can catch him on Leafs TV, catch him on all the good stuff to watch, or Leafs Nation Network, excuse yeah, me now. That's yeah. what it is now. My apologies. And Still like Leafs TV. It it's, it's sounds a, easier. It's an easier one. It's a better one. Of course, rebranding, stuff like that. Everyone's yeah, got to yeah. do it so Everybody often. does it. So, once again, Todd, thank you. Have a good call tonight, and best of luck the rest of the regular season. Thanks, Tyler. I wish you luck with the podcast. Thank you very much. And once again, that was Todd Crocker. And once again, we thank Todd for taking the time to talk with me about the Marlies. We tried to actually get him on before the season. However, with me moving, with Kel and I moving to our new apartment here, kind of got in the way because we were going to do something in September to kind of talk about the team and preview the team and whatnot. And because obviously people like to hear about, you know, Leafs prospects, except for, well, I guess for any other team that, any other people that don't cheer for the Leafs. But it's interesting to us. And, and yes, I know I said a couple more quick questions and then we went on for another 20 minutes. I do understand that. Sorry, right, we got to talk about food, okay? Food is a very important thing in life. And it's something that, you know, we, you need to have to survive. So when you go to a rink, you want to know you have good food. And there you go. He likes the hot dogs in Grand Rapids, likes Grand Rapids, and he makes a few good points. And I actually mentioned him off the air. I said it's weird that you mentioned Grand Rapids and how great of a city it is because all of us that live here in Grand Rapids have lived here long enough to realize that it's really not that special. And... We kind of, I guess, take the things for granted, like you said. You know, everything's in walking distance of the arena. There's so much to do, so much to eat. There's the theater now downtown. It makes it a lot more, I guess, visitor-friendly. And, yeah, I mean, he talked about Chicago, the Wolves. That's a great barn to play in the Allstate Arena, but it's in Rosemont. It's not in Chicago. And, but, of course, you're not going to call them the Illinois Wolves because that would just be weird. And so, but it was, it was great to talk to him. And, and you realize with Todd how humble he really is. You know, when I ask him about the, the call-up to the NHL, oh, that, that, that was cool. It was, pretty, it was pretty much a reaction. You know, he wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, of course, you know, someone like me or even if Thomas, who's been on the show a couple of times, if we got called to the NHL, man, we are higher than, higher than cloud nine. We'd be losing our minds. But Todd, you know, hey, that's cool. You know, we're there in the NHL. But, you know, he, he never saw it as a big career move, which he, he's a guy that's been around for a long time. Like I said, he's been doing, he did the Bulldogs games back when they were the, along with the Edmonton Oilers and the Montreal Canadiens when they were split back in the early 2000s. That's how long ago he was with the Bulldogs. And, I mean, he's a, obviously a very talented voice and has a, he's had so many great calls. And that's when we talked about Goche. He, Gochi scored a big goal in the playoffs a couple of years ago that, that I believe was a double overtime goal that Crocker had a very, very entertaining and extravagant call on that I'm sure Gochi's will remember for a long time. But once again, thank you for, thank you, Todd, for taking the time 
Obviously, yes, it is a little out of date with Casimir Kaskiswo getting called up. Now, with that said, let's talk about what happened leading up to Kaskiswo's call-up. Michael Hutchinson on Sunday, five goals allowed against the Blackhawks. He has not had impressive numbers by any stretch of the imagination. I get that. But you can't look me in the eye and tell me that all of what's happened to Michael Hutchinson this season is Michael Hutchinson's fault. He has been put in a lot of bad situations. I don't think he's, I mean, yeah, his numbers aren't that great this year. But you can't tell me that it's all his fault. Like, looking at his, all of his starts this year. Currently, he went 0-4-1. And, and, and I, I don't, I just don't understand why people point the finger exactly at him. Yes, in his starts, he's allowed at least four goals a game. Not good numbers, I get that. But look at the Washington game. Maybe one goal he could have given up there. That Boston game, the second half of back-to-back, are you kidding me? Not a chance. Not a chance. It's the same thing that happened with Sparks last season. I know we we, we really rode Sparks last year on the show, and I get that because I don't think Sparks was really an NHL goaltender. He allowed a lot more bad goals than I would say than Hutchinson has. And I'm not going to go back to McElhenney. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bother giving the light of day to, oh, man, we should have kept McElhenney, should have kept Picker. You know, that's, that's just what, it's whatever. It's old news. Move on, right? You got to think about the present. Got to start moving forward here. That shootout loss against Montreal, that's a tough one. You want that one. It's... It really shows that the Toronto Maple Leafs are a team that, without Frederick Anderson, are no good. He literally shows why Frederick Anderson is the MVP for the Maple Leafs. There is no doubt. You cannot tell me that Austin Matthews is the MVP. Mitch Marner is the MVP. John Tavares is the MVP. No, because guess what? We've seen. You put any other goaltender in, they're nothing. They're a hockey team that cannot get the job done by themselves. They are not the Calgary... I am literally saying this, folks. The Calgary Flames last season were a much better team than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Not just because they won the division, but because they found ways to win games without their goaltender. Their goaltender... Even the San Jose Sharks last year were better than the Maple Leafs. The Patrick Marleless San Jose Sharks were better than the Maple Leafs. Because why? They won games despite their goaltending. The Maple Leafs need Frederick Anderson to be at the top of his game. Unfortunately, you can't play him 70 times a year. Or he's going to get burned out by the playoffs like he has the last two years. So now they're going to have to try with Kaskisuo, and that's going to have to be a quick turnaround, too, for the former Marley's goaltender now. Kaskisuo, like I said, I joked with Crocker about City more than Antoine Bebo, because Antoine Bebo at least got a start before going back to the Marley's. I believe that was the 16-17 season when a loss to Colorado, of all teams, actually. I'm kind of taking a quick look here. They play Friday against Boston at home. They travel to Pittsburgh on Saturday. Guess what? If Frederick's not, well, of course, well, pardon me. I almost would, almost thought that Frederick wouldn't start against Boston. No, it's the first half of the back-to-back. Frederick will start. Kaskaswo will get the game on Saturday against Pittsburgh. You have to give the kid a game. Babs has to try. You have to try everything at this point. Sheesh, we may see Joseph Wool get a start here. I, you've got to find something. Are they going to try to bring back Neuverth? <laughs> what are they going to do? You've got to find something in your backup position. If Hutchinson's not the answer, 
I mean, yeah, of course you want a goaltender to steal every game that he's playing in, but you can't expect it every night. And I get it. Hutchinson has been inconsistent, but still, I don't say, I say less than half the goals he's given up, or more than half the goals, have not been his fault. He allowed a couple bad ones last night. Yeah, he allowed a couple bad ones against Washington, so on and so forth. But why were they even getting chances? Because the Leafs are so reliant on a good goaltender back there, they can't be. That's not a good team. That's not a good team mindset that, hey, we made a mistake, but we got a good goaltender back there. No. You should be a team that can play defense like the Arizona Coyotes. I know Kemper's putting up big numbers, but he's getting help back there. Anti Ranta's putting up big numbers back there in a backup role. Is that two good goaltenders? Yes. Is that a good defense in front of them? Absolutely. I'm just saying, guys, we can't be putting the blame on Hutchinson. I get it. Yes, you need to try something. So, yes, you put him on waivers. He'll get, go down to the Marlies. Kaskis will get an opportunity. He better get an opportunity. If Babs puts Freddie back-to-back, the season's over. Because he's going to try to play him 70 games. He's going to or whatever, how many games left. He'll play the rest of them. You'll get to March 31st, and that'll be it. Season's over because Freddie will be dog-tired. They'll lose their last 10 games of the season. They'll squeak by in the playoffs in the wild card, get their butts whipped by whoever's the top team and whoever they have to play because they won't finish third. Well, they may finish third. Buffalo's fallen off enough. Buffalo team that started off so well, everyone's losing their minds. They were top in the division. Next thing you know, here they are, 9-6-3, nine and, nine, and three, if I'm not mistaken. Nine six and two, excuse me. Yeah, they are a point out of a playoff spot, but whatever. They've fallen off so far fast that there's a good chance. Because right now, Detroit and Ottawa are battling for Alexi Lafreniere, despite the Wings having an actually a decent start this year. Florida's hanging in there, though. I think Bobrovsky's starting to come back a little bit more. They're still getting outscored sixty three to sixty two in their seventeen games they played thus far. But at what point will the Leafs realize that it's not their goaltending the issue; it's the team in front of them? I am slightly interested to see how they adjust things. I'm interested to see how Kaskiswo does. I want him to do well. I always, like I said, I was talking to Lewis earlier in the show. I always cheer for the goaltender that kind of gets left to the wayside. Kaskiswo, like I said, has done more sitting on the bench than Michael Telfus did back in his day. Yeah, there's a name for you, Leafs fans. There you go. And of course, one of the Big parts of the Leafs coming back into the lineup tomorrow night in their game against the Islanders, though. Zach Hyman getting the goal call back. So he was out, of course, with a torn ACL. So we need a little information on what Hyman had to go through in order to get back into the lineup. So why don't we bring in a health professional, someone who may know a thing or two about this? How about a nurse? Crazy idea. Let's bring her in. Ladies and gentlemen, my fiance, I'll have to say fiance because if I don't, I will get chastised for this. Our resident nurse here on the Kill Podcast, she's been here before. She'll be here again probably because I'm, you know, I'm living here with her the rest of my life by choice, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Kelly Dietrich. What's your, what's your last bit? Is it BD or R? BSNRN. BSNRN, Kelly Dietrich. No, B- Kelly Dietrich, BSNRN. Kelly you know a thing or two, because obviously you've seen a thing or two. You are not farmer's insurance, though. <laughs> but, oh my gosh, you laughed at a joke. Stop that is, it. This is a win. But an ACL injury, it was announced after, and we found out he was playing with it in the playoffs. What are the 
real big effects of an ACL injury. Obviously, you can still move and you can still play with it. Not very well. You can't move very well. It's extremely, extremely painful. So basically, what the ACL is, it's a ligament in your... Yeah. It's a ligament in your knee, a major ligament in your knee. It's, and it, like, it's hard to explain without, like, a diagram, but I encourage everyone to look up where the ACL is it's in the, reference to your knee. It's pretty much the front of your the knee, kneecap. right? That's your kneecap. It connects, basically, your kneecap to your, um, like, tibia and fibula, to the lower, like, bones of your leg. Uh, it. Because because if you straight people if you straighten out your leg and you can move your kneecap back and forth that's normal the right. ACL is what keeps it move keeps it from you know completely falling. it's it's extremely painful uh, and it's a very serious injury most people can do with a little like tiny little like stretch or a strain but when you tear it you really want to get it taken care of the fact that he played with it probably wasn't the best thing. Well, obviously because, not, not long-term, but it's the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I know you're looking at it from the health side of things, the I, long-term effects, but it was the playoffs. He short in his career. Well, yeah. I mean, Steve Eisman could have played for 25 it, years, but he had ACL tears. That's why. Because if he would have just gotten off the ice and stopped playing when it happened, he could do easy rehab and not even have to do surgery in the first place. But now he had to do surgery, and that's why he's out so long. It increases your risk of getting arthritis in your knee and having a joint replacement. And it's a big thing. People don't understand how big ACL tears are. They're very big, and they're a big deal. And they're unfortunately very common in sports. It happens when you stop too fast or when you're sliding, when you like turn direction really fast. And it's a super common injury, but people underestimate what it can do in the long term of your life. And I, and, but Elaine, that's, that is kind of the, not the funny part. I hate to say that word funny part. But it's it's interesting because in the in the moment, you want to stay in the moment as a player. And if you think you can help your team, if you can still play. Like, there's a reason why Tyler Johnson in the 2015 finals played with a broken wrist. Or when Marner tried to come back into the game. Marner tried to come back into the game this past week. Yeah, and that now he's out for four weeks. I didn't even mention that yet. I can't believe it. almost that forget, almost slipped <gasps> my mind. Oh, my goodness, and I mentioned it first. Are you, are you proud? Rolls are switched here, are people. You, are Rolls you, are, are switched. Are you proud of yourself? Well, we had a lot of other stuff You did talking. not even know that Hyman was coming back and he got cleared no. until I told you before you walked no, out No, you said he was gym. cleared. I knew he was coming back because our good friends at Cat Friendly, because I follow them on Twitter, tweeted out that he will be in the lineup and these are the adjusted depth charts. Then why did you say when I told you, hey, Hyman got cleared, he's coming back in, you said, I oh, really? I was making really? sure was he, was he 100% cleared. I, there was a oh rumor gosh. that he's coming back and then I just came up today. He can't admit that I was right, can you? I was working today. Everybody, this is what you get to hear for the rest this of is life. What I, this is why I'm <laughs> bringing you on the show. But, well, now Marner's out, and it sounds like a high ankle sprain. Once again, another, I mean, ACL is, ACL is a muscle, ankle, bone. <laughs> well, your te- ankle technically isn't a bone, but. Well, okay, then explain then to us what the effects of why he's out for only four weeks for this kind of an injury. It's obviously just a sprain, not a break, which is good, but what kind of recovery has to go through this rice rest ice compression elevation you said oh you said you said rice i said rice the acronym rice r-i-c-e rest ice compression elevation oh oh my god it's not just a food and for a former hockey player you don't know that acronym no i never learned any that. sprain that is basically the formula for how to get better is rice rest ice compression and elevation 
For him, it's just an ankle sprain. It looked like a not very comfortable one. Well, Basically, it, it just looked it looked like a really bad ankle roll. Because it, it wasn't as bad as Miko Rantan's, where his foot bent 90 degrees the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, it's good for them to come back. But, of course, I guess one of the big ones I want to know, because, uh, like you said, you studied it for four years. You are graduated, but... Why is this one such... Why is the ankle not as big of a deal as an ACL? I, I guess, yeah. So, the way... The way your ankle... Your ankles are at the bottom, the bottom of your body... The way that the bones and the muscles are together, it's able to support enough weight. And if you you can roll your angle basically 360 degrees around, you can't do that with your knee. So I'm trying to think of it. So your your knee and your elbow, they're like hinges. They can only go so far, and that's just how they're designed. Unless you're double jointed. Yeah, well... Then that's weird, yeah. But yeah, anyways... And your wrist and your ankle are very similar. They are rotating. They're rotating joints instead of ball and hinge joints. So they have a little bit more range of motion. So you can't go around in a circle with your knee or your elbow. The muscles in your wrist and your ankle are just have that ability to bend a certain way. So they're a little bit more flexible. So when you sprain it, you sp- when you sprain your ankle, it stretches it out a little farther. But the muscles are already designed to sp- stretch out a little farther than normal than a knee would. When a knee can only go so far. So, so that's why it's obviously easier. Of course, it's just a sprain too. Not easier, but it's it's more manageable. There you go. It's more manageable. And then, well, I guess you were saying on the subject, John Tavares came back recently with, from his broken hand, and has obviously been a key contributor as well. But a broken hand, it's broken bones. How can that one only? heal for a few weeks but if you break your ankle you're done for a very very long time do you put any weight on your hand do you put 180 to 220 pounds on your hand no but exactly but but if you're but if you say if you do break your 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 foot oh so you're saying that Tavares's hand could be at say 80 percent healed and he could still play with it yeah because you're not putting a ton you're not like bearing weight on a hand where you're bearing weight on your feet because you need them to walk right and, I mean, you can go through an entire hockey workout and not use your hand. Like, it's a lot of legs, and it's upper. you can have a brace on your hand and still be able to shoot. Which is what he's had, and he's still able it, to get... And it depends on where he broke his hand. Right. It I, broke, like, in your, like, middle of your hand. Brace, and you're fine. And, of course, a broken finger is really nothing. I mean, I... I, I for yeah. Me, well, me, personally, I've had joint finger issues before. You've had a lot of issues. I've had a You're lot. You're gonna of have issues. hip replacements by the time in you're 35. There's a reason why I'm doing this and not playing right now. Ball and joint and hip is the ball and joint is the same as like. I think I should go. I, I think I should go to a chiropractor. Yeah, chiropractor will fix your hip. Well, it helps my posture, which could help the strain on my hips. Tyler, you're probably bone on bone with your femur and your pelvis. Probably, but then again, I think that's. Well, you know, the head of the femur is called the acetabulum. There's your little, little fact for today. <laughs> little fact for the day from our resident nurse, my fiance Kelly. Kelly, thank you for joining us. I think that should be enough for today. We had a nice long show, a couple, inter- three interviews today. Actually, we had Lewis, we had my interview with Todd Crocker, and my interview with Kelly, which does not put me out of the doghouse quite yet. But that's just how she goes. Just a heads up, people. The first week in March, he is not going to be doing a podcast. I will not. I'll we will be, be in Jamaica. 
Yes, we will be in Jamaica for our honeymoon. It'll be nice. It'll be lovely. It'll be all-inclusive, and it's already paid for, so we can't back out of it now, even though there's opportunities to broadcast during that time. No big deal, but that is it for this week's show, folks. Hopefully, Alex will be back next week. We will see. We were going to make dinner for them again tonight, but no, they had this basketball thing to do. But It's for school. Leave them alone. I guess. Well, okay, Katie does it for one thing. Alex does it for another. Anyways, anyways, hopefully he'll be back next week. Once again, thank you to Lewis for coming on talking about the Coyotes. Keep, obviously, your tabs on him with the hockey writers. Todd Crocker coming on. Well, you're not going to say coming on, but joining me for an interview on Saturday. Of course, follow him at Todd Crocker on Twitter. Be sure to follow the Marleys and all the Leafs prospects coming up through the system. And thank you, of course, to Kelly for giving her lovely nurse and anatomy expertise. Of course, you made your big debut last year with Elias Pedersen, which was... Yeah, but last year I wasn't an actual nurse, and now I'm, like, licensed to practice. So, yes, so you can actually take her word with merit other than just, hey, she knows things. Always go... Just, if you got any health issues, call your doctor. Do not search it up on the internet. Don't search. Search. We'll make sure we tag this one under... We'll put this one in the Mayo Clinic uh, log. We'll do that and say, here, there's a great... Mayo Clinic is very reliable so for certain things, but always talk to your doctor, please. Oh, call, call your doctor. They're around. If you call your doctor's office 24-7, you'll get the on-call nurse. I will. The def- triage people. I Stay will, healthy. I'm going to definitely find like a Get log. your flu shot. Oh, geez. This is her mother instincts coming in. This is my nurse job. Get your flu shot, everybody. You cannot get the flu from getting your flu shot. You get the flu. Anyway. They give you the string of flu. Use the hashtag the kill podcast and tell Kelly that you get the flu when you get a flu shot because you get a strain of the flu. Ah! Tweet us um, at the Kill Podcast and tell us what you think about injuries and if Kelly's word was actually good. I hope it is. It sounded legit because I'll be honest with you, I don't know much about it. I mean, I understand injuries are bad and people get hurt, but how they recover and what the long-term effects, I don't understand at all. I just say, hey, he played and what a great effort despite blaming the attorneys. Yell, I am he's a good boy and good Canadian boy, which we won't hear someone say anymore. Um, unfortunately, we had to talk about we talked about that already, though. Anyways, nonetheless, thank you once again, folks, for joining uh, for joining us on this adventure that is the Kill Podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next week here on the Kill Podcast. Goodbye, Bye, everybody.